At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Greetings, friends. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. Uh, I know I did, but it's time to get back to some outlooks for the 2019-20 NBA season and a fascinating team to start us off this evening, the Boston Celtics and newly minted full-time athletic writer on the Boston Celtics, Jared Weiss, is joining us. How are you doing, man? Good. You know, when there was that pause, I thought I had to pretend to be your friend for a second. I <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was channeling like Homer Simpson the robocall to Ned Flanders. Greetings, friend. Do you want to be as happy as me? <laughs> uh yes. It, it's I mean that's really once you start referencing uh cartoons from over 20 years ago, that's really Oh, actually no, I'm sorry. 25 years ago now. Uh you, you can uh you can really just wow your audience without who you are. I can't even count that it's so long. <laughs> um all right, let's talk about this team. And I think where I want to start here is obviously the addition of Kemba Walker. And just what difference is it going to make having him instead of Kyrie Irving? Because, uh, I mean, obviously they lost Al Horford too. That's a, a big part of it. But that's uh, maybe the biggest difference that you'd see and, and maybe the most direct comparison that's possible here. But what's going to be different from what they get out of Kemper Walker this year compared to what they got from Kyrie last year? Well, it's funny as prognosticators, it's good that Horford left because I feel like it would be super easy to predict this team potential if it was just a Kemba for Kyrie swap. Because obviously with the way that things with Kyrie last year Kemba's a huge upgrade there but uh is he well why is that because Kyrie's skill set was not really the issue so much as it was just the it was a fit so I I just don't see the I don't really see any of those issues popping up Kemba based on his personality type based on his career how it's gone so far you know there's just there's so much like kind of buy-in stuff that seems very turnkey for him with the position that he's in the career that was not happening with Kyrie um and you know maybe maybe it really was as simple as that Kyrie was in a true emotional funk after losing his grandfather and I mean we've all been there we know how that is you know it can really it can really mess you up um but I mean he was he didn't change that drastically in year two compared to year one it was just that year one he was hurt for the second half year um so I think it really was mostly a personality dynamic issue and obviously it was the dynamics changed with everybody else around him in year two compared to year one so Kemba I mean I've got to know Kemba a decent amount over the last few months before it came to Boston and yeah, now you, his, you guys were like hanging out together in Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, he was he was there to hang out with me. Let's be very clear. He he didn't want to be there with his friends and family and all the stuff. He was just there to hang out with Jared the Athletic. Um, but so well, I was only part times, probably not. But so he. Uh, <laughs> 
he has he and Kyrie have like kind of I think a lot of similar goals in a lot of way a lot of ways about their life, but I think the way that they go about it is extremely different. And it just seems that Kev is just such a better fit for both this coach, who is not an authoritarian style coach. He is definitely a coach that lets his leaders lead. Um, and, tr- and he's a coach that tries to lead by example and doesn't really necessarily. He's not very confrontational. He doesn't throw guys under the bus very much publicly. Um, he just seems like he's a way better fit with Kemba. So everything just seems to line up better with Kemba. But you just can't underestimate how impactful Al Horford is on just... I mean, I, I, I wonder if Al Horford was not on that team last year, what would have happened? Like, would that team have fallen out of playoff contention? I mean, he was just... He was like the glue that held everything together in ways that were just kind of remarkable last year. Yeah, you know, I was driving the, the boat, which probably was not a good boat to be driving that, hey, okay, it's their chemistry. That's what's getting all the press here uh you know the problem is that these guys just aren't playing well enough and maybe that they're not that good yeah and especially some of the guys who disappointed on the wing last year tatum hayward obviously uh had a big struggle coming back jalen brown had a really ugly first half of the year as well shooting the ball um you know it got taken out of the starting lineup but as well um and obviously with more reporting the fact that Kyrie did eventually leave it, my position doesn't look a, as good now but I also feel that we tend to focus on those things too much because it's the drama and it's what people are interested in and it's where we in theory uh, can add some information as reporters that you know isn't accessible to the fan to talk about some of the drama that's happening within the team so Uh, this is a very difficult question to say but how is being more together this year actually going to help them on the court and where did not being together last year hurt them at least in the regular season i think clearly in the buck series you know by the end they were a a train wreck and Kyrie was just running all over the place on defense you know double teaming Giannis or wanting to guard him one-on-one which he's it couldn't do but (laughs) during the regular season i mean what is it specifically that the better chemistry is going to allow them to accomplish on the floor this year uh, especially because you know a lot of the complaints were about the offense i can tell you like five years from now i'm definitely doing an oral history on that buck series because that was some of the wildest shit we have ever seen i mean Kyrie just went like <laughs> he went like full rogue he was like charlie day wild card it's like he cut the brakes or something it was crazy i, I, um, I mean the, the only other time i can remember it's like he was just almost like putting on a show of how hard he was trying the only other time i can remember that was a player who also left his team at the end of that year and that was uh, dwight howard in houston who uh, at the end of the 15 16 seasons they were getting blown out by the steph curryless warriors in game five at oracle demanded to play 45 of 48 minutes when they're down by 30 points in the fourth quarter like it was <laughs> uh, but Kyrie was just he was uh, especially defensively was just it was insane he just he couldn't hit any shots like it was a disaster give him credit at least he tried too hard instead of not trying at all that <laughs> there is some virtue in that uh, <laughs> Right. I, I i guess so yeah but 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 back to the to the question i had okay, what was the actual just, question yeah, yeah uh, of just like like how is having better chemistry actually going to make them better on the floor this year okay so i, I think that there was one of just the fundamental failures last year was that i i still believe in the scheme that everyone was talking about coming into the year of having an all driving kick scheme from all five positions and just having all these guys that can get deep dribble penetration and kick it out i still think that is the optimal scheme to design right now for the way their roster is built and with the way that the rules are set up so they're still going to do that for the most part like they still they didn't lose all their wings they can still pull this off uh especially hayward who looked very looked very solid in uh in their opening preseason game against charlotte so 
Hayward was like one of the main guys that wasn't really breaking through. You know, it's getting past the nail is like the huge part there for people don't don't know what the nail is. It's literally the nail that used to be there, at least in the middle of the free throw line. That's like the center point for the rotations of the defense. So if you can get the ball past that, then the defense usually has to collapse in on you. And that's when you're able to kick it out and usually get an open shot. And so we just saw uh, any defense that had their scheme figured out would just stonewall these guys as they tried to approach the paint. And then Tatum would go into a step back jumper that he would brick half the time. Rogier would settle for step backs. Uh, Jalen Brown would try to do a Eurocept that would go nowhere and he would try to pass it and turn it over, stuff like, of that nature. Uh, and to Kyrie's credit last year, and this is where Kemba will also excel, is that a lot of the time it was just that the offense overall, nobody was able to get that penetration. And instead of just trying to reset the ball and uh, just try to run the play over or something like that or continuing to churn dribble handoffs and pitches to get guys driving down the seams a lot of the time they would just fall into the shot into like, taking like that mediocre contested mid-range shot and Kyrie a lot of the time was trying to get them out of that funk and he would usually do that by just trying to go isolation or go into high pick and roll but it was pretty apparent that for most of the season when he would see a lot of the younger wings getting stuck in that rhythm he would be really trying to get them out of it and to his credit i think he was definitely trying there and that was one of the main areas where it wasn't that the chemistry was bad or that guys didn't like each other and it clearly wasn't Kyrie's fault it was that just a lot of inexperienced players were just not understanding how to be patient offensively yeah and obviously one of their big weaknesses last year as well was not getting to the foul line not getting all the way to the basket they took a lot of threes but uh you know some of those were some pretty contested looks so uh, that and that was the, the thing that I think people talked about uh, the most was the offense so they also of course lost Al Horford and I think you could very easily argue that Kemba could give them more than Kyrie especially considering Kyrie only played 67 games last year but Al Horford was so important to what they did defensively how are they going to pick up the pieces uh, of losing him uh, on that and we can talk about the offense too but the defense seems like the greater issue I mean we saw in the first game that they played that Cantor is still not he still isn't showing the foot speed and the early hip reaction timing this just in oh (laughs) they're gonna make a point that is the point it's great and it's but i mean i want to watch him work out this summer in new york and the stuff that he does to try to improve his mobility and his reaction speed i think is pretty good i think he's doing the drills and maybe as the year goes on he will improve but right now he's still just he just he can't stay in front of guards uh that have any size or have really good speed or aggressive like he just isn't going to be able to stay in front of them and that was the thing that Horford did great. I mean, obviously Horford is known for being able to switch and stuff like that, but what really made him great was that they didn't have to switch most of the time with Horford because he could do what they call up to touch, which is where he's basically sitting just below the screen level and kind of taking in the ball handler and rerouting the ball handler away from the paint as the, as the guy that's guarding the ball handler catches up to him. And then they were still able to reset from there. That's a, that's like the most complicated scheme for most teams to execute besides obviously getting caught in switches they can't handle and getting screwed from there but he allowed them to stay in generally more traditional pick and roll schemes and they just don't have anybody on the roster right now that either has the physical tools to do it or is ready to do it because rob williams surprisingly started in the first game of the preseason for them and he has the physical tools to eventually be a good pick and roll defender but right now he still just seems like he's a step behind everything it's going to take him another year or two for him to be ready to handle that role against like starting talent yeah so and then obviously on offense too you know Horford 
was an outstanding passer and shooter. He did keep uh, the middle open. Ennis Cantor was their signing uh, with the room exception. It seems like he, whether he starts or not, he's going to get the most minutes as a traditional center this year. How are they going to use him offensively in comparison to how Horford was used? Well, one of the things that he was working on during his offseason program was putting the ball on the ground and doing dribble handoffs. And that's, that's something that Horford was, you know, one of the best in the game of, really one of the best of his lifetime of, of being able to kind of run an offense through the center, kind of not just standing there stationary trying to set a pick or hand it off. Like he actually can put the ball on the move and actually reset the offense in different ways and angle the offense in different ways. And Cantor is learning to do that we haven't really seen him do it that much it hasn't really been a part of the way that he's been used but the Celtics believe in him being able to do it and I think he's going to do a lot of that so that's important in that it allows them to not have to completely rewrite their offensive scheme to be more of a high pick and roll scheme or just having the center just setting screens and then rolling as hard as he can every single time so the more they can keep the center active up above the top of the key then the more room that they have for all their really talented wings to get into the into the lane and finish. So I guess it all depends probably on how how much teams are going to respect Kander's jump shot. If they don't respect his jump shot and they're still sitting there at the free throw line, catching all these DHOs as they start to drive into the lane, then it probably isn't going to really work out. Um, but he's a very good role man. And they, um, I mean, he, he, he's a, he's an absolute, uh, you know, he's a bundle of elbows basically when he starts to roll down the lane. So that gives them something that they just haven't had really at all. They haven't had any, I can't remember the last good role man on this team that was like a brandon wright (laughs) well well, and the reason i say that is because i remember that stevens you know and and they were going to change things up for brandon wright uh and you know he was an underrated role guy before the the injuries just ended his career um but like but brad didn't really wasn't really able to use him you know we haven't seen him you know Cantor is not a gravity guy going up to get alley-oops but you know we generally as it's been more the guy hands off and, and that's horford was great for that scheme so i'm really interested to see whether they're able to get Cantor going to the rim more you know i mean we Cantor for years it's been talked about oh he can shoot some corner threes but that's just not where he's uh, the most effective and so I think there's a lot of pressure on Stevens this year to find a way to use Cantor and I think if he can there's an argument that Cantor is actually a better offensive player than Al Horford is uh and with his offensive rebounding his finishing around the rim and that he can give them an element of getting to the foul line getting extra possessions kicking out uh posting up even a a little bit that they just haven't necessarily had uh but it's gonna be it's gonna take a big adjustment to what they've been doing i think at least what's your reaction to that no you're you're right i i you're going pretty far off over the ledge to say that you think he can be as effective as Horford offensively, but it's not like it's a, it's not crazy. It's just like, that's a strong take. And I'm, I yeah, don't no, want to, I, I, I realize for- that. I mean, Ennis Cantor is a wonderful offensive player. Like he just sucks defensively <laughs> so badly, but like, I mean, he's, I mean, if you just look at his efficiency numbers, like, and his usage and his offensive rebound, I mean, like that's, he's very, very difficult to stop uh, offensively. And, you know, Al uh, added, adds passing and he adds shooting but he doesn't really add much force and and there are things i mean marcus smart talked about this a a little bit the other day that you know having somebody rolling to the rim especially on a team that doesn't necessarily has has struggled to get to the basket is something that i think he he can really add i mean now i'm not saying he is better but i think that there's a, a possibility that he can give them more than horford gave just because horford is wasn't going to score as much as Cantor, and Cantor is going to score very efficiently. All right, I'm glad you said that because I'm very 
wearing very flammable clothing. I don't want to catch on to <laughs> this hot take, but yeah. you're you're right in that. For one, that smart quote kind of caught all the writers' attention when he said that. We're like, oh, you know, yeah. that's. I, I mean, he was like, oh, nothing against L, blah blah, but uh, yeah, but it's true, and it's something that I've been asking Stevens about for a while, and Stevens generally blows yeah. me off when I ask that question. So maybe I should have Ar- Marcus ask it next time. But <laughs> he, um, it's it's a real thing. It's something that I think I asked him about multiple times last year, which is that why not have Al be a hard roll man and then just have your ball handlers trail behind him to help be a lead blocker. And that's a big part of what the pick and roll does is that it almost creates a lead blocker for your ball handlers to get behind it. And then they have the option of the short lob or they can put up a floater. It gives you a lot of options. And especially with the fact that they have in their starting lineup, however it ends up being shaped, which I guess we'll figure out at the end of this pod, they're going to have three guys that we now know in socks are over six foot six that can all get up there and finish or can pass so they have three of those guys that they're coming in behind a um they're coming in behind canter on the roll and they can fit they definitely can finish through traffic or they can make a play through traffic and so that's good i think they're gonna probably be good probably a little bit better offensively this year than last year because of that but there's just going to be so many times where if if like a team is blitzing kemba and he has and the ball's taking out of his hands and their wings just aren't on that night they don't have horford there to be that security blanket for him that he just always was and that's when things can really fall apart yeah and that's passing obviously is a weakness for cancer i mean he started to where he's making a few plays on the short roll but of course he you know he's playing with one arm last year in the playoffs for the blazers so that it's kind of tough to say that his deficiencies there are going to carry over but yeah whether he can make a play on that short roll or not is interesting and you know it's brad stevens wants to move the ball he really believes in that he built some great offenses around that with isaiah thomas who was great flying off those screens having the big man out at the top to reverse the ball lets you get that side to side action going um and so i mean if you are rolling to the basket there's not as much space it's going to be a little bit more stagnant perhaps so you know those are things that uh and robert williams is the same way i mean i'm not trusting him to like you know be operating at the elbows and diming guys up on back doors either you know he's a similar strength he, to, to cancer i would know he he has that in this game i don't know really? i mean yeah. we we've barely seen it against top level competition but we've seen it a lot in the summer league and against second and third units so that that is a big part of his game is he's going to be able to within the next couple of years face up from the high post elbow you know out like 20 feet out and be able to dime up guys um so he's that's like the that's i think one of the little like skill sets that he has that made him so appealing to the team and the reason why he didn't fall all the way into like the second round the way that mitchell robinson did was because he has some of those well-rounded offensive skill sets but just going back to um to the canter thing because you're making a lot of great points here it's that they, they need to be a much more north to south rather than side to side offense you know side to side is great in theory, but we, they just saw last year how hard it is to pull it off consistently. And they just, they need to bring the physicality this year. And I think that was just the thing that they shied away from. And it was something that they did well in the past when they had less talent, but they had a lot of scrappy, hard-nosed guys. Now they have a lot of talented guys that don't like contact as much. And so, you know, right now, Smart and Cantor are probably the two physical tone setters that are on in this rotation. So let's uh, shift now to their three semi-stars on the wing, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum. All those guys uh, had disappointing seasons uh, a year ago, showed flashes at times uh, as well. But uh, who do you think, uh, let me start here, who do you think is going to play the best out of those three guys this year? 
Gordon Hayward? I, they um, would love that. That I mean, that would be fantastic for them if that's if that's really true. My voice is shaking saying it because it's so tantalizing <laughs> to predict that after the last couple of years. But he looks good. He looks really good. And as as much as Tatum is improving year to year, and we've seen a little bit, we have like a little snippet to see what he's you know where he's coming from now, and we're just seeing him getting bigger and all that kind of stuff. Tatum looks like he's taking another leap. It's probably not going to be a massive leap, but it's going to be another leap that's going to put him into all-star range. But that is still not quite as good as what Gordon Hayward is when he's on top of well, his game. I, 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 I will push back that. I think if Jason Tatum gets into all-star range, that would be an absolutely massive leap to me. Oh, okay. Uh, compared to where he was last year. I mean, that, that would be, again, I think they would be completely ecstatic uh, about that. Um, oh, they'd be happy. But I would, yeah. I, I mean, he, he had a very inconsistent year, but when he was on, he was clearly all-star caliber. He just was too inconsistent to be at that level. But yeah. his numbers don't put him too far off from all-star range. So like, I think it would be another big step forward, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be some sort of like astronomical leap that would be unforeseen. I, you know, I'm expecting him to get to the, to the edge of being an all-star this year and yeah do you think do you think that'll include 40 percent three-point shooting <laughs> i'm not betting a stake on it that's for sure <laughs> uh i i mean i'll, I'll do uh i'll do double or nothing for you at uh or, or not double or nothing because he already paid up but uh, uh, we can redo the bet at 39 percent if you want uh, no i'm not a writer's salary i can't take that out of you anymore <laughs> All right. Well, if something if something comes to mind, I mean, I, I do want to give you a chance to, Let's, to get your uh, as long that as awesome wagyu dinner back. As long as we actually cap it at a hundred dollars instead of what do we spend like three hundred fifty dollars this time? Oh my so. god, dude! We can't we can't have these people thinking we're like we're like high rollers for uh for for the the Vegas summer league. I wish I was a high roller. No, it was it wasn't three hundred. It was like a hundred. I think I think I paid over three hundred because I was paying for you on top of yeah. My, okay, so yeah. yeah, so you you also had to pay for yourself you weren't you weren't gonna just like buy me the walk you and not have any yeah I, I had to indulge it was it was i don't know if it was worth it but it was definitely really good but the wagyu there was not wasn't quite as life-changing as i expected okay well, i mean i had also just it. gotten back from japan and had wagyu over there and i oh yeah it. that's yeah, yeah see that was the problem we put we should have just made it uh, made it some some other uh something else here um all right, now that we've endeared ourselves to our audience by saying that uh, Wagyu is not good enough. So let me answer for this from the top place. of my ivory tower here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I can't remember the question now. Uh, oh, we, we were just talking about maybe like trying to like find find. Oh, oh we, we were saying oh, who's going right. to be the best of, of Hayward, Tatum, and, and Brown. Okay, and action. So, yeah, Hayward just, he because of his playmaking capability, he's just so far ahead of where those guys are now that I think Tatum's probably could be the best scorer out of the bunch already at this point. But when you combine the, what I think is pretty solid defensive versatility from Hayward, I think he's, while Tatum probably could end up being the most versatile defender out of the group, Hayward definitely is at this point. Um, but when you combine Hayward playmaking More so than best, Brown? Yeah, Jalen, I mean, they're going to use Jalen at the four more this year, so maybe he'll kind of yeah. prove that. But I've just, I've seen Tatum, I think it's that whether you can guard a guard versus a wing isn't as big of a variance as whether you can guard a wing versus a big. And we've just seen Tatum and Hayward play in the in a pivot role more frequently than we've seen Jalen okay. do it. But Jalen did play in a semi-pivot, you know, swing power forward role when he was a rookie and did a pretty decent job at it. And they're going to use him more this year now that he's officially six foot six and socks 
<laughs> yeah, I haven't seen uh, what they've uh, they've been reported at yet. But uh, the only surprise so, one was uh, Kemba came in at six feet uh, without shoes, which surprised me. Yeah, no, that 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 was surprising. Um, so Hayward, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this is like tantalized by the, by the idea that he could be close to where he was in that last Utah year. Obviously, has had the, the lost year in seventeen eighteen with the the ankle, and then last year it really took him a while. I mean, he showed flashes every once in a while, but I I felt like just his explosion at the rim really never returned and even when he was starting to get more efficient uh, towards the end of the year you know it was on 17 percent usage you know it wasn't like he was really a, a main part of the offense and obviously it was tough to work him in with some of the team dynamics uh, that they had um so what has looked better about him so far i mean i assume you've been talking to people around the team who, who've been talking to him up i didn't get a chance to watch this first preseason game yet but what's looked so much better to you right now well if you would read the athletic for once you would see that i had to sit down with mr hayward uh and i think one of the things that stood out in the conversation although actually it was me saying it and then him agreeing so i guess that doesn't count but so it was that last year his offensive his offseason program was about being healthy again yeah. just regaining the confidence to be the, able to play that again. second surgery really retarded his progress exactly like. exactly and it but it wasn't it wasn't even just that he had to rehab again late but just that he was still in that process of returning to the floor and the mental side was just so extreme and there was a lot of good coverage that showed how extreme it was but if you're someone that isn't around gordon hayward it's really it's really hard to really appreciate it and it was something that i think a lot a bunch of us that are around him were able to kind of see it like it was he was coming from a he came out of a very very dark place to get back to where he was and then this offseason it was just about building off of last year and he had a bitter taste in his mouth from last year there was no more rehab whatsoever he didn't you know it was just skill development it was just you know exploding to the hoop as much as possible he also uh didn't go so he, i think he sold his house in san diego where he had lived for a long time and moved and just had his family stay in boston and he never left boston and so he just was able to focus more and work with the staff be at the facility so the quality of the training that he was doing was better so it's just that now he's hitting the ground running as opposed to just trying to find his footing uh like he was coming into last year and just so much was going wrong last year that he just never really found his footing um and a, a big thing that he had told me um and I'm, sh- I'm sure he's also mentioned probably to other people was just that the reps is a huge part of like his mantra um and the people that work with him they talk so much about reps and about just how developing skill sets anything like that is it's all about just working smart and getting the reps in which obviously they didn't invent that ethos that's something that's pretty frequent pretty frequent but like that was his thing and the way that he analyzed pretty much every single facet of his game and so last year the the things he was expressing was that he felt that because of the role he was in he wasn't able to get his reps within a game to really find that yeah. comfort level and so he was there was one time i was talking to him and his trainer and he was breaking down for me that you know people talk about how he's not good at getting to the hoop anymore but like for him if you break down his shot profile he might get 10 shots in a game but only two or three of them are him actually attacking the rim and so you think about it from that that perspective then yeah you can understand why he is still not comfortable getting to the rim he's only doing it a couple times a game and so i just think he got he told me like he got those reps this offseason and now he just feels like he's there and he feels like he's there in a way that he wasn't there before um and i think that just there's going to be less chaos going on around the team and less commotion with trying to figure out how this team works it's like really their core guys have continuity together in the roles that they're going to be in now which is obviously different than last year yeah and i i think 
for me, I'm going to be looking at what does he look like really trying to explode at the basket. I mean, all the stuff that people said about confidence and being out of rhythm and all that, I agree. But the guy just couldn't jump when he got to the basket last year. And so, I mean, I think there was a physical component of that that I'll be interested to see. But I do agree with you with the idea of he needs to get more reps, right? I mean, he really only had a couple of years in Utah where he was clearly the number one guy and they kind of had to force feed him a little bit you know he's not a guy who's going to put up a 29 usage even at his best you know he's more comfortable having the ball but moving it and catching the ball on the move and so i think you really have to find ways to feature him and with all the uh the usage hogs on last year's team you know even like a marcus morris type of guy uh <laughs> you know that just wasn't going to happen for hayward yeah marcus morris has never seen a shot he wanted to turn down and that's the thing is hayward was so the the lead of that story that i did on him was about how he made the right play to the point that it wasn't really the right play too much and yeah. that's and that's like one of steven's big things one of al horford's big things both of those guys like talking about making the right play but sometimes the right play was too simple of a play and you have to take some risk in order to achieve something truly great. And there were just too many times where Hayward would try to attack over a screen, get met with a defender, and instead of trying to really push through into the paint, would just start kind of dribbling towards the top of the key and pass it to the guy on the on the opposite elbow, who then would have the defender right in front of him and wasn't as good as Hayward. And then he was just kind of stuck there, and they'd have to reset the play, or things would go wrong. Or Hayward, because Hayward likes to do a lot of you know running different routes around the hoop and stuff or around the court and stuff like that would sometimes be running into guys or running into their space and there was just so much confusion with him out there so he just needs to be more decisive and you're right he needs to drive into people like his style has always been driving into someone's chest and then using his strides and his balance to be able to take some sort of off-balance floater or just go right over the top of them and we just didn't see a lot of that or we saw him more falling back onto those floaters and just trying to shy away from taking the contact deep into the paint yeah you could tell i mean he's got such great body control and he can slow down i mean he's probably one of the slowest euro steps in the league which actually you know once he could kind of knock the guy off with his shoulder it could get room to finish in the paint and you could tell he just was getting knocked off balance uh, on a lot of those plays all right we'll, we'll take a quick break here and we'll be right back to talk about what this team's rotation is going to look like so at age 25 i still remember actually the photo that was taken to me it was right after i started law school actually i probably would have been 24 still at that point i realized that my hairline was starting to recede around my temples and i decided at that point that i was going to do something about it and i started taking finasteride which at that time was still under a patent it was really expensive but it worked and i've kept my hair pretty much at about the same level over the last 15 years uh, i'm 39 now and in my personal life uh, for years my friends who started losing their hair i was like hey you know you should try doing this like keeping your hair i know for some of us is pretty important and now it's much easier you don't have to pay nearly the amount that i was paying back then and you can still get real prescription medical solutions with HIMSS. You get in touch with licensed physicians, you get FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. There's no sank oil pills or gas station counter supplements. You go through their interface, you answer a few quick questions, send them a photo of your hair, and if it's right for you, a doctor will prescribe you medication to treat hair loss. It's shipped directly to your door. Hims is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. The way to get started with them is for Hims. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S. 
4hymns.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time here on the program. That's 4hymns.com slash capspace. And don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Make sure you see their website for full details and safety information and get started with the Hymns Complete Hair Kit for just $5 today while supplies last and subject to doctor's approval. You save a ton of time. You save a ton of money versus going to a regular doctor and a regular pharmacy. You can bring all of that with the same level of safety to you with 4hymns.com slash capspace. Once again, 4hymns.com slash capspace is that URL. Who are these guys going to start? Okay. Kemba Walker and Sue. <laughs> Tatum. Seems reasonable. So Walker and Tatum are the two guaranteed starters. Yeah. Um, Hayward, I assume, is going to start. I mean, if I were Hayward, I would ask for a trade if they didn't start me on opening night. But then it gets really hard because I would want to start Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart together. And well, so yeah, so now you're out of uh, you're out of bigs. You're you're you don't have any bigs. Yeah, at that point, right? So that's not going to work against Philly, who has two of the best bigs <laughs> in the NBA. But that works against Milwaukee, for instance, whose big plays over the top of the you know, plays above the elbow most of the time, and works against most teams there's not a lot of teams where that doesn't work hell they could even try that against like brooklyn for instance who doesn't have any post-up bigs but has deadly roll bigs you know okay you- all, right, all right i actually i think i i have a bet for us mm. uh that they will not uh, my my bet is they will start a traditional big in at least 80 games this season wow okay well no i i'm not gonna take that because that's gonna be their starting lineup that's always been how they've started so yeah. we're talking really about the finishing lineup here okay all um, right well that's yeah i, I mean maybe, maybe we can we can not uh, we can come up with a, with a framework off air i mean we could try that as a fi- that that bet but it's just gonna take a yeah, lot of work uh, to uh, fi- yeah how often do they finish games with no uh with no big on the floor i'm gonna say uh less than 25 percent of the time so no bigs on the okay i'll take that i'll take that okay yeah so so i'm saying they'll they will finish games with a big on the floor 75 percent of the time or more okay we'll make it a like a prestige menu item it's something that's not momofuku we have to try we have to try a different (laughs) restaurant this time I don't. It's yeah, not about yeah, the price. Cause, cause, it's just about trying something different. Yeah, yeah. No, no. no. I, I I agree with you there. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I don't. I don't know what prestige means to you because apparently Moafuku Wagyu is not well, not good enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> so can we cap it at like 150 bucks or something? Or okay, like... <laughs> hundred. Let's, let's cap it at 100 just to be safe. But okay. No, for the, that, that, for the that record, the issue yeah. with the Moafuku Wagyu is not that it was not great food. It was just that it was not quite worth like the 500 dollars that we had to pay to for the it just it wasn't was, it was, it was it something could say it, it wasn't quite that i don't know all i remember is right before it came out Kawhi leonard got traded and we all lost our minds so oh, that's yeah, the main thing right. i remember god what a, what a yeah. dinner that was that, that was, was truly epic. that was that was what i i will always remember that night actually that was that I'll, was pretty I'll insane ne- at a number of levels i'll never forget kp pulling out his like kevin pelton pulling out his laptop and realizing that the one scenario he had in pre-written for his article <laughs> oh, was yes, a scenario that so happened good. <laughs> so the fact it credit to him espn is truly getting their money's worth out of kevin that he he sat there at dinner and wrote his entire article on his laptop at the dinner table that was that was impressive 
and it was good too no i mean i, I yeah that's right i remember now i i like took a photo of it i was like <laughs> when when you haven't pre-written the one scenario <laughs> all right so yeah this this that, bet we can happened. execute okay. we can try to get liam pulled off of the miami heat duty so that he can uh he can do the the grunt work yeah so. we yeah we gotta actually track it i mean i guess it would have to be like oh you know the the center plays like more than 50 percent of the minutes 50 percent of the last five minutes of, of the game or something like that yeah that's a fair, very yeah. close game okay. yeah there's i think i actually know a way to pull this off so we'll, we'll make okay it. all right all right I, I i got it written down here um okay but who who's actually going to start at the five for them though so I, I think it's going to be Cantor. I mean, I, I think both of us are probably as high on Cantor as anybody's going to be at this point. Um, well, I, I, I mean, we haven't talked about his defense yet. But, yeah, well, uh, we, I mean, we, we both said that his defense is problematic, but um, yeah. I think they can find I, – I think they would rather deal with his porous pick-and-roll defense – by just having him sit as deep as he can on pick and roll, so people will just be sitting back and really, really, you know, icing as hard as they can. I don't really know because also, yeah, see, Kemp- see, I don't like that. I think I think it's better for him to be out on the floor and they actually have like some pretty good length to scramble around behind him because if he just lays back and the guy gets ahead of steam going at him he's just going to finish around him every time because he can't jump at all so and he can't move i think you're actually um you know or, or you're just gonna have to sag way in from the sides so but i think like actually having him up higher is the way to go but you know maybe maybe that's not going to work either i mean i guess he had the most success that he's had with stats but you know the the first two teams they played when he had success weren't like high pick and roll teams really so as soon as he got out there against the warriors he couldn't really be out there anymore exactly um, yeah well it's it's funny because th- there I, are no good answers we'll put it that way i was thro- so i threw the, your concept to someone who knows more than i do about basketball and they said that he's just that he's going to be caught on the island and they're going to basically just force him into a switch because kemba also isn't exactly putting a ton of pressure on the ball to head yeah. the snake yeah. so well hopefully they'll have smart or they'll have jalen brown or or someone guarding like the main i assume they'll be hiding kemba yeah i mean it, de- it depends what you, what team you're playing but you know most teams yeah. most teams have a point guard that um or most teams have at least multiple ball handlers so that you can eventually just pull kemba out of whatever hole he's hiding in and put him into pick and roll so teams you know teams are teams are pretty good at figuring out how to do that against isaiah thomas and kyrie irving over the past few years and to kyrie's credit at least he tried to be a good pick and roll defender but usually the harder he tried to be a good pick and roll defender the worse defender he ended up becoming <laughs> um it was kind of like the honest thing where like he would try really hard to be really good and then he would just kind of overcommit and take himself out of position stuff like that so um you know kemba the best thing kemba can do is just try to roll tight over the screen and just try to do your job as simply as possible because with the length that they have they can be one of those defenses that really sucks into the paint um and then just has to fly out the shooters and hayward and brown are great at, at contesting three-pointers jason tatum we actually saw it in the first preseason game against charlotte still bites at every single pump fake he's ever seen and i don't know how he hasn't gotten better at it because he has the physical tools to be great at closing out but for some reason he leaves his feet every single time somebody pump fakes and someone just gotta i'm sure they've said to him you're not gonna block like you'll you'll never block a three-pointer in your entire career so stop leaving your feet it's not about blocking the shot you just want to get in front of a lot of pat Connaughton film (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, what Pat Connaughton did defensively in that series was pretty incredible. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's because people didn't learn to pump fake him. He just like he would just sprint as hard as he could and jump as fast as he could off of one foot, and like he covers a lot of ground. But like people need to know, he's just going to sprint as hard as he can and jump at the guy every time. But, and and uh, that's what Tatum does. Tatum leaves us like, yeah. as soon as he gets out of the paint, he leaves his feet. Like he leaves his feet so early. But Jalen, yeah. what Jalen does, and I've I've been saying for a couple years now that I think Jalen Brown is the paradigm to study for how to close out as a wing is he runs as hard as he can takes like a jump stop and then does like a, a kind of a short two foot jump just short yeah. of the shooter with two hands in the air and their rule that he follows really well is always be the second jumper so if you're closing yeah. out wait until the shooter leaves the air you're not going to block the shot most likely but you're going to get a good contest in there and you're not going to get beat on you're not they're not going to drive around you on the closeout which is just so much worse than giving up a lately contested three all right, so so let's get back to to the starting group here. I mean, the decision really seems to be Smart or Brown in your mind. Yeah, I, I think they probably would bring Smart off the bench because they don't really have a backup point guard. Yeah, well, but they can just sub out Kemba at the six minute mark and have Smart yeah. take over, or sub out Smart at the six minute mark and have Kemba take over, and then bring Smart back yeah. into the second unit. That probably well, no, I think they're going to put Kemba in with the second unit. They do that with Kyrie a lot, so we yeah. definitely could see that happen. But um. They, it's just that his, if their defense is going to be compromised by having Cantor as a starter, then Smart is that other guy you want out there because he just, he, he does everything on the floor and he does it with an intensity and his communication is really good. He just fixes so many of those issues that are out there. And we haven't even gotten to Grant Williams and there's a legitimate conversation to be had about starting Grant Williams so that they can run the defensive Whoa. scheme and offensive scheme that they want, even though he probably is not ready at all because as mature as he is, he's still a rookie, but he is his skill set in is very similar to Al Horford's. He's not on that not not even close to that level, but he does this he fills the same roles that Horford filled. So that's definitely an option for them. But I'm uh, not I'm not getting yeah. any indications at this point that they're gonna go that route. Yeah. I think they've got to start Braun, Hayward, and Tatum because number one, I mean I, we can talk a little bit about this too, but if Jalen Braun doesn't get an extension and then you try and bring him off the bench too, I mean that's not gonna go very well. He is not gonna be a happy camper uh, about true. that. And I think those I think those are the three best players the three most well-rounded players you're not going to bring Hayward off the bench because they need him to be a secondary creator Tatum is the apple of their eye I mean I think at the very least you have to start with those three and then if it's not working you can you know you can go to smart or you can go in another direction but I mean the, the with the profile that those guys have also another thing too is like if this, these guys want to make a trade like you, you want to get those guys looking as good as they possibly can uh you know and uh Braun being a part of that we'll see if he extends if he extends, he won't be a part of a trade. But I can't imagine no. he's going to extend. He sh- and he shouldn't. He should hold out for no. Them. He should hold out do, do, for something just short of the max, I guess. But the potential. Yeah, for I mean, him to do be you have max. any sense of, of of where they're at right now? I mean, supposedly I saw a report that they're at least discussing it. Which you know, great job. That's kind of what you're supposed to do. But. Uh, <laughs> I think they're probably yeah. gonna. I, I I don't. This is not me reporting it. I just I think yeah. they should and probably will offer him four years, eighty million. I think that's yeah. I mean that would be the reasonable. absolute lower bound. I think uh, of what might even like not be insulting. Yeah, uh, I think exactly. We ended up on our mock rookie extensions. We ended up at four years, ninety two million with you know some team based incentives first based on advancing the playoffs that could get it to one hundred five. Remind me, can you do a player option on the rookie extension? 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You can. Yeah. I mean, you just, you can't do five years unless it's the max. That's yeah. really your only restriction. Yeah. See, if I'm him and I can get like, let's say 92, 95, and maybe even have a couple incentives for like, you yeah. know, let's say unlikely incentives. If I can get the player option on the end of that so that he's 25 and he's hitting his next contract when the salary cap's going to be a lot higher, that, that's something that could get it done. So I think if they get creative in the structure there, but there's no point yeah. of offering him anything close to the, you know, close to the max at this point because he can just play his way there and then they can just give that to him in the offseason. So that's why the yeah. Celtics never get these deals done because they never have someone that's clearly a max guy, although we'll see Tatum is on track to be there if he continues to improve. Um, but they've never they never have an obvious max guy that you give the extension to, and they never have a guy that's like just barely good enough to really consider that that doesn't think they're gonna have a strong RFA market. Because Rogier was very confident in his RFA market last year at extension time. So yeah. when they offered him twelve million, he said screw that. And obviously that worked yeah. out pretty damn well for him. Yeah, considering he had like the worst year that anyone could have expected <laughs> and still cashed in. Yeah, I, I would agree. It was uh, it, that was crazy. It was, yeah, poor, poor Rozier. Oh man, not starting really screwed him over. He played seventeen hundred minutes last year. Like playing time was not the problem. Uh, Role was anyway. the problem. It was it was definitely not playing time. Um, yeah, that's right. Because he, he was really inefficient. So the way to solve that is to give more shots um <laughs> and, and to, so by the way to yeah. be clear when i was talking about grant williams starting i meant at the five not not as a oh way. okay yeah. okay yeah that no no that that is important clarification um yeah that would be yeah i mean if he if he closes games as the five that you that counts for you as not starting a, or not closing with a big so um uh no i think that I, I don't think of him as a big i think he's like kind of a a, a combo forward well the problem is he's like clearly a power forward so what yeah. is a power forward a big i have no idea i mean he can I shoot it well enough he, he's not a center he's not a center I sure that's, that's he's, he's not I, th- I think he's a i think he's a big i consider him a big if okay. you consider Draymond Green a big, I think you have to consider Grant Williams a big. If you, yeah, I, I would. I was thinking more of like a traditional center type. But anyway, yeah. but let's get to those centers now. Cantor, Daniel Tice is back. Robert Williams, uh, who we talked about a, a little bit, and then they bought brought over uh, Vincent Poirier, who I totally mispronounced his name. But uh, no, no, you got it right. Or Vincent, I, think, I, I, I thought. I think I said too much of the R. I, I, I everyone uh, calls the end of his everyone just name. calls him Vince. So just call him Vince. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. Um, put those Whoa, those you, guys in order you, for me. You if forgot. You play hold on. Oh, you forgot a very important one. Yeah, he's not gonna make the team. Come on, just say it. Just Taco. say it. There you go. Taco Paul. There it is. No, he's he's on Exhibit Ten. They, they'll they'll send him. Down. I mean, because uh, if only because Javante Green has looked really good. But, so um, in that that you haven't even seen the first game yet. Uh, Javante Green. I, I saw on Twitter he was awesome. He went but, insane. It was unbelievable. Yeah. He, we were all sitting there saying, "Okay, this guy's definitely making the roster." So uh, ta- Taco, they should keep Taco because he has potential to be a rotation big in the NBA, and he is so valuable able to have from a business marketing perspective and meet the people go crazy over him he got a standing ovation and he went in the game finally and people started screaming their heads off in a preseason game where like people were like yawning the entire time i mean he is such a sensation they should try to keep him and their problem is going to be that if his agents go to this job he's going to be getting offers from other teams to tell the celtics we've got a roster spot waiting for us and whatever team it doesn't have 10 centers so can't they uh unilaterally convert him to a two no i think he has to accept it i don't think exhibit 10 gives you the right to unilaterally do that 
Okay, I, I haven't seen his contract, but anyway, I uh, think the only the only thing Exhibit Ten has is that to to accept the fifty thousand dollar bonus, you have to agree to be an affiliate player in the G League. Um, you would probably know better than me, but that's all. I, that's the only thing I can think. Yeah, of. Yeah, well, I, I I wouldn't want to say it without having seen his contract, but it, but anyway, uh, maybe they can trade him to the Rockets. I think the Rockets could use <laughs> use a little help for for their business. Apparently, they're going to go bankrupt now, so well, they might have to send um, a GM over as well. But um, um, yeah, got it. Yeah, okay. So so. Between the the four who are actually going to play this year, who, who put those guys in order? Who who you think is going to get the most time? Uh, Cantor and Tice will probably be just about the same, and then I mean I think Grant is probably their third big, but they're most Grant likely Williams. Yeah, Grant Williams are most likely going to have him out there next to another big, whether it's Tice or one of uh, Cantor and Williams, uh, Robert Williams. I forgot there's two Williams now. Uh, Rob Williams. You know, I just didn't think he would be there uh, or be ready to step ahead of those guys. But if he's starting in that first preseason game over Poirier, then they clearly are pretty they, – they think that he can work. And I'm pretty sure the last couple – opening like first preseason preseason game starting lineups have ended up being the starting lineups in the regular season to start off the year so maybe that really is going to happen i mean rob williams when he was out there he just i mean he when he, he when teams try to drive on him he jumps in the air like two steps before they even leave the ground somehow floats for a good three seconds and then swats the ball away and it's pretty remarkable to watch but he, he blocked 12 percent of opponents twos in very limited minutes last year he, he's also a turn style half the time though and he yeah. just he looks lost. Teams get create like teams snake pick and rolls or reset pick and rolls, and he just gets lost. It's still he's still pretty yeah. easy to get around. Maybe they could switch more with him. They, and that's if, they, if he's at center. So that's the big thing is that he definitely can switch. He has he has a foot speed. He's good at getting low. Um, what he loses in foot speed, he makes up for with length and athleticism. So he definitely I mean, he's their ideal center for the future. And there's there's legitimate starting center in that you know in within him probably a couple years down the road if he isn't going to be the starting center in two weeks. But yeah, uh, but, well, why doesn't he just fast forward to that time? I've uh, I think I made the joke twice tonight actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I think my joke when they announced the lineup was uh, people are confused by Rob Williams starting, but what they don't realize is that it's actually the year 2021. <laughs> um, so, so Pare, give us, give me I like think- 30 seconds on, on- – what what his story is right now well, that's that's giving you everything i know which is that he's uh he's a good rim runner and he runs the floor pretty nicely he's he's a legit seven feet uh in socks so he's seven one at least seven one yeah. and a half uh he's got good power and he does spread the floor he's a catch and shoot guy legit catch and shoot three-pointer guy above the uh, above the elbow which surprised me i knew he had a little bit of perimeter shooting skill and i actually saw him play when i was in paris like a couple years ago and he couldn't do any of that stuff from what i remember so yeah i was i I was really surprised to see that he's improved there and that's that that improvement is the reason why he's in the NBA now. So he sh- he should be getting ten minutes a game or so. Like he'll yeah. He's I mean, they good- gave him two guaranteed years uh, above the minimum. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, I I think that Cantor does most of what he does at a better level. Poirier seems like he's a better rim contester and pivot defender than he is. He seems yeah. like he's going to be pretty good at that and probably will be a pretty solid pick and roll defender. I just haven't seen much footage of him defending against like what seems like an NBA style offense in the pick and roll yet. So I 
just don't know what to expect there. Yeah, you know, as I look at this this lineup, I mean, they have a lot of different guys at center, and you would hope that one of those four traditional centers between, or two of them between Cantor, Tice, Williams, and Poirier can can give them enough at the center position, you know, at least for the regular season. I mean, I do think a real upgrade there defensively, that's like the clear spot of where they, if they could get someone who would be like an elite defensive center and they have the assets to do that with the, that Memphis pick and a few others, uh, that they could really like become a contender in the East if they did that. But that's like the, the biggest spot to upgrade because they have pretty good depth at the other positions, it seems like. So, um, what's really tricky yeah. and also I, we've barely talked about tice tice has pretty clearly yeah. proven to be a, we, we know what he is yeah. i think he didn't even like yeah. play in the first game because it's like they don't even need yeah, to I, see I, I mean he i think we i'm a little lower on him maybe than i should be just because he you know had that injury hit year mm-hmm. last year um or, or i guess coming off of that the knee surgery that he had um so that was uh you know he showed some signs in, in he's tough a tough use in the playoffs against their primary competition he's just getting overwhelmed physically um against philly or milwaukee i think but um he can soak up some minutes it seems like i think he's just he's like the perfect average backup big that's that's if they're putting him in the starting lineup which is why i keep i'm not throwing him as the starting lineup role it's because he's he's just kind of slated perfectly to be that backup guy and canter yeah for whatever flaws he may have he gives you something significant at a starting level so that's why you start canter in my book if you're starting a big um and also going to the trade thing that you're talking about for one they're going to be sitting there waiting for Bradley Beal. Like that's uh that's a pretty obvious one. They have they have Jalen and that Memphis pick to put together for Beal. That's one of the best packages that they that's going to be out there. Um, yeah. And I mean they've been saving these that pick to get them a huge fish. So I just don't see them unless the center that whatever big that they were going to get to try to win now was going to be someone they want to, as a big part of their long term future. I find it hard to imagine they would use that pick on that move. You know, I don't, I don't think Clint Capella qualifies for it, but maybe that's who it is. Uh, but so they got to wait because, uh, Bradley Beal is essentially Jason Tatum's older brother. And if you yeah, want both, both from St. Louis, of course. Yeah. But like quite, lit- quite literally was his, has been like his big brother since like Tatum was like nine years old or even younger. They're, uh, they have been, that's his best friend basically. And so to put those two together, that gives you two dynamic stars that are entering their prime that you know have the kind of relationship where you can manage that. And we're seeing so many teams struggle so much to have two superstars that can coexist long term. So if you can guarantee that together with another superstar, and Kemba that you know is going to coexist well then after all the chemistry stuff they've just dealt with and I don't think Jalen Brown and Jason Jalen and Jason are, are great together Jalen's very difficult to predict because he's, he's a pretty insular person who also has a he has a big ego but not like in a like he's a rude kind of way but just he's extremely confident in himself and that you know shows yeah. himself in, in unique ways um, but so you know maintaining that star harmony is extremely difficult and they know they get pull that off if they get Beal so I think Beal is more appealing to them than all almost any other team although if i'm an nba gm i think beal is the perfect guy to acquire so i would want to do that anyway yeah that, I, i'm really interested to see what it, what ends up happening uh, with beal um he ain't staying <laughs> it's not it's not happening yeah no it, i'm not reporting that, that but i'm pretty pretty confident it's not gonna happen uh yeah not nah, me too um big strengths for this group um 
Well, they they saw Shemi Ojale. He's big and he's very strong. Um, I, <laughs> I I think I think their perimeter attacking, even though it kind of failed in its theory last year, I think that's still like their big strength. They just they've got they've got four guys on the roster that that can be twenty point scores. And then Smart showed that he can be like a decent offensive player last year, and he shot thirty seven percent from three. So I don't think it's fluky. If you've I've been I don't I don't know if anyone's covered Marcus Smart shooting as much as I have over the years, and I can tell you it's been a very slow bumpy grind to get to where it is but i do think it is part of a linear path of him improving so i don't think it's going to be a fluke i wouldn't be shocked if he shoots 35 or 36 percent for the rest of his career but i don't think he's going to go back to being a 20 percent three-point shooter if he stays healthy so i do think their ability to keep defenses stretched out and then attack those seams is still a strength that they have that's at a at a true title contender level yeah i think uh avoiding turnovers is something that they did very well last year now Kyrie is amazing at that and he's <laughs> not there anymore but um and i do think that a couple of their big weaknesses from last year getting the foul line and the offensive boards uh, are things that you know especially depending on how Cantor is used could look a lot, a lot better this year if hayward has a bigger role you know he's really got more of a free throw drawing profile in a larger role that than anyone they've had it and Cantor as well it, it gets to the foul line quite a bit so i don't think they're going to be like you know at the top of the league there but i think we won't be looking at that and kemba i think gets the line a little bit more than Kyrie did who's that was one of his uh big weaknesses that probably wasn't talked about enough so i think that just getting easy points is something that they can be a, a little bit better at this year um even if they're not necessarily going to be elite um can i other strengths i mean yeah, can i interrupt are. you because i want to get your take on this is it sure. is a low post bruising center that draws a lot of fouls on the pivot guy still very valuable in the league yeah i mean it's really just the biggest problem with those guys is that body type that's required to do that just lends itself to being bad defensively okay like i mean i think that that's the issue sure yeah you'd love to be able to throw it into the post and overwhelm smaller guys and get a dull team especially against second units and get on the offensive glasses i mean yeah no that indisputably helps your offense i mean it's you know not and what's more i think a lot of teams you know, aren't as used to really dealing with really good post scores anymore either now if you really turn it up in the playoffs you can make it hard to get the ball into those guys etc and, and you know cancer as well he's he's solid on the pick and roll like he can he can make plays uh, ducking in you know it's not necessarily oh we're gonna you know line up at the line of scrimmage and throw in the post and it's cancer you know that there's <laughs> but no i mean i think as an offensive player like that's it's very useful like he's a very very good offensive player it's just he would give up more on the defensive end in particular in playoff settings when you know when you get into the last two rounds against good teams he just couldn't play at all yeah because we just we saw last year that high pick and roll teams are the ones that were really thriving for the most part and a lot of that is just that those were just the best teams and also once you get to the last couple rounds there's only a couple teams so they're mostly running that kind of stuff but it seems that most of the bigs were super effective when they were mostly short rolling and Jokic that Jokic and Gasol who were the guys that were there pretty late those that's just a part of their game so it's hard to tell is that strategic or is it that it's just playing to their strengths but with Ennis he's not much of a short roll guy he's either a full rim runner or he plays out of the the dunker spot or he tries to duck in and so 
you know, I was going back and watching a lot of the stuff that he was doing in New York when he was just kind of living in the dunker spot. And it just kind of seemed like he wasn't even a part of the offense. And he was just there to just whenever the shot went up, it was just his turn to go in and fight for an offensive rebound. Yeah. And they used to do that with Aaron Baines early on. And then they kind of transitioned Aaron Baines and forced him into being that, you know, that um that point center at the top of the key, the way that Horford had the system designed around him. And it worked to a decent degree, except that just, you know, dribble penetration was always a problem so i'm trying to f- i've been trying to figure out like ha- what is the way you optimize Ennis canter without wearing him down obviously and i think a big part of hiding those bigs in the dunker spot is that they just you don't want their ribs to literally crack in half every single game and so you got to give them a break from the pounding that they take rolling to the hoop but they're asking a lot out of him and more than he's ever been asked before and he seems like the kind of person that can meet that challenge and maybe it pushes him to become the all-star caliber player that he had the promise of being when he entered the league and is like you know put up the numbers to get almost to that level but has never just quite been been there maybe they finally bring that out of him but there's got to be a reason why he hasn't hit it yet like a, a lot of it has to just be like you have to go pursue that and he hasn't quite gotten to that point yet you, you're, you're are we still talking about Ennis cancer yeah okay just just wanted to be sure <laughs> i'm talking about bigs in general but mostly Ennis yeah Kanter. no I, I i mean i think he's just uh, like if you were solid defensively like maybe you could talk about that but i, I think that's just unrealistic for him um weaknesses I, i'm gonna start with this one and you, you may disagree with me here i think that star power when you're really talking now not in the regular season but when you're talking about really competing with the best teams i think uh, this team is missing some star power i think kemba you know is very lower end all nba last year i think he's not gonna be quite as good both changing teams and and at his age as a small guard and they don't have anyone else who really profiles to be you know they don't have that 60 percent true shooting high usage guy you know i think that a lot of the guys who are going to create shots are going to do so at a league average efficiency or, or right around there and maybe if hayward comes through and he can be the fulcrum and, and set everyone else up and maybe kemba with more stuff around him can be more efficient but I, as of right now they don't profile to me to have a guy who's like you know a top 15 player in the league yeah i agree yeah. um no so, fight so and it's just it's hard to and I also don't see them being an elite defense as well. I mean, I think yeah, defense at the center position with Cantor is going to be uh, is going to be a question mark to be sure. Um, and you know, Hayward and Tatum, I, I I felt a little differently about their defense than you do. I, I think I think Brown is definitely the best of those three guys. Um, and that Hayward had some moments in Utah, but I thought he looked really bad last year. And I think Tatum is not; it just needs to get stronger and tougher. Like guys seem to go through him a lot. Um, so I should clarify: uh, I yeah. agree that Jalen's a be- is the best defender by a pretty yeah. decent margin. I just think that Tatum and Hayward can be more versatile in the roles that they serve because gotcha. they can play okay. the pivot better, so, which might enough. not even um, be true, just because we haven't seen Jalen play in the pivot in a long time and maybe he does it very well now because everything else he does seems to make you think he would be good in the pivot so yeah i think like he really struggled his first couple years i thought defending in the post and then i i thought he did get better you know kind of even towards the end of that 2018 run when he was guarding lebron a little bit more and uh and then last year um and I, any other weaknesses that pop out to you? I should say for Jalen, his weakness yeah. that I think is important. I never thought the post stuff was that important. Like it, it was mostly feeling that against. Yeah. Well, they don't have to play LeBron James. Yeah, anymore, exactly. Which, it, which, which helps. It was like LeBron and Thad Young were the guys that were getting to him. And it's like, yeah, those guys are like yeah. super athletic fours, so they're going to be a problem for him. For him, I think it's that he gets lost chasing creative guys that move off of screens and guys that slip around when like people that can like pay attention to him see when he's looking away and they make a move away from him and he just gets lost a lot of the time so 
that's the stuff where I think he needs to uh, to improve his awareness. There's always been awareness concerns with Jalen. The irony that he's like he's seen as a super smart, uh, open-minded yeah. person off the court, but then on the court he tends to play with blinders on uh, both both ends of the court, and he's like so good at driving, so good at finishing, so good at at shutting down whomever he's defending or handling his closeout responsibility, but then has trouble with help defense and rotations, has trouble finding the kickout and stuff like that. So he's he's been a very confusing player to cover that's for sure no I, I mean and he's like a spectacular dunker but he biffs a lot of layups that like you actually would just expect him to make like his actual his overall numbers finishing at the rim are, i think are disappointing and, and it'll be like ones where like you know at the time he released it you're like oh that's going in he's got he's got a great lane to the hoop and then he just will miss it like it's it's kind of odd i think it's but, a feel thing because yeah. he also hits insane acrobatic layups all the time so yeah. it's he has like his his um his like difficulty capability is almost as high as it could possibly get in the NBA, but his persistence not very great or consistency not very great. All right, so I, I know it's twelve forty six uh, on the East Coast here uh, in the eh, morning. Who so cares? Li- li- lightning round here uh, for for weaknesses. Any else? Anything else that pops out to you? Uh no, I think we've covered everything except yeah. backup point guard. Maybe yeah, you know we haven't talked about any of the rookie wings and guards yeah, edwards wanamaker yeah Trey waters on the, on the two-way i keep forgetting romeo langford's yeah. on this team um and yeah it's it's they amazing because he's their first traffic the but he didn't play he's been hurt he had a groin issue so he didn't play uh in training camp and he's a he's a big project but he he like has borderline all-stars potential if he really really comes together i mean he was a top Oh. Top five prospect coming out of high school. Um, he's he's got so much, and he, he's six six, I think now, and he's got so much scoring potential. You know, nice feel for how to be a three level scorer, but just like so much mechanical stuff to figure out uh so he's he he's got a long long way to go so i don't think he's gonna play a ton he's probably gonna be playing like eight to 12 minutes a game or so it seems like carson edwards is probably gonna be the guy that carves out that backup point guard role uh he's a really nice fit next to the guys they have uh because they've got other guys who can initiate but he's point guard size and he can guard the point guard on the other end and and i think his shooting is very real right yeah it's real um although he had an air ball and he i think he airballed finger roll as well in the first game um it seemed like they're not paying him to get to the basket it's (laughs) fine it seemed like he forgot how tall he was on a couple of those it was pretty funny um he's the energy that he plays with is is great it's very infectious he plays with it on both ends and you compare that to brad wanamaker who is probably going to start the season as the guy that gets the backup point guard minutes while marcus smart or gordon hayward is probably going to run point for the most part they're still going to have another backup point guard Wanamaker is like a very, very straightforward, um, you know, savvy body control guy that can pull up and hit a three pretty well. And he's big. He's like six foot three or four or so. Um, and so I think he's probably going to get those minutes, but eventually Edwards, as he gets more and more used to the speed and, you know, and power of NBA defenses is go- is going to carve out that role. Yeah, I liked his summer league. I mean, if you play hard and you can shoot, uh, that's a, that's pretty decent. I mean, he he's a better defender than you know your typical Eddie House type to to whom you you see him compared. It's a good um, comparison. Yeah. All right, let's do uh let's do some predictions here. Ah, uh, win totals. Yeah, win win total for the twenty nineteen twenty Boston Celtics. I'll say forty eight right now. That's what I had too. Yep. 
Um, I wish I could disagree. Yeah, the the over under, I think, was 49.5. That seemed a little high to me. I think they could easily hit that. It's just, there's, I think the defense could be about average, and I don't think the offense is going to be like absolutely elite. I think they can get there, but there are going to be enough guys that need to take step forwards, steps forward to make that happen that I can't like count on that. So I'm looking at it mostly as if Hayward's fully back, that's what gets them over that, regardless of all those other guys. I think that the difference between what they had last year and then what he gives them this year is just so what he could give them this year is so drastic so they have a pretty they actually have a pretty big range they're probably one of the teams in the league that's probably the hardest to peg down among the i guess sub contender level of like the you know solid playoff teams that could potentially contend they seem like they have a like a 10 win range i think they have a a pretty high floor with this group though yeah yeah no the floor is high but it's that so they're in the sub contender range but they could easily jump into the contender range I mean, I'd be shocked if they're less than like, I'd be shocked if they're less than like 44 wins. That seems, I mean, as we kind of get into that now, worst case scenario to me is like 44. I think, you know, kind of right in there with your Miami and your uh, your Brooklyn, that kind of level. Yeah, I think I put them at the baseline of 48 and they could probably move 10 wins or I guess like five wins either way. Pretty, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I could see them getting to 55. Um, I think like the Stevens magic on defense and then, you know, Cantor really helps them offensively and Walker's more efficient and Tatum Brown and Hayward. I mean, they have a lot of guys who you would think can be a lot better than they were last year. And it's just, again, it's hard to count on that, but it's certainly well within the realm of possibility. I mean, 55 seems like a lot, but it is the East and they won fi- or, or they had the point differential of 52 win team last it's true. year. true. And it, oh, they, well, if it's three wins over last year's team, then Hey, maybe that's not, or what it should have been last year's team. But so, um, they that means that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are both playing pretty much all the way up to their potential. Yeah. And then then they could survive the pick and roll disaster that's to come on defense. But if um if that's if those guys aren't playing at their absolute best, then that I'm I'm not sure what they could do pick and roll defense schematically wise to to have their defense be because if you're a 55 win team that means you basically have you're basically top 10 in both categories right offensive defense so i don't know how they get the defensive rating down low unless they completely flip what we know about pick and roll defense on its head or if they make a switch or they make a move sure of course yeah Yeah, i mean that's kind of and Again, I think Stevens, you know, he has a pretty good track record as a defensive coach, maybe more so than an offensive coach in some ways. Um, so yeah, but I think, I mean, and especially if Hayward and Tatum and Braun all look really good and Kemba looks really good, you could see the front office being like, Hey, you know, we can get right into this in the East if we just make one move for, for, uh, a high end center. So bad if they, and there are those players around. They should have just drafted Brandon Clark. Everything would have been totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like I've heard, for example, like the idea of them trading for Gasol. Um, but matching salary for him is a little hard. You're, I mean, there's no way you're not giving up either Smart or Hayward in that deal. Why? Um, and if if both of those guys are playing well, then why on earth would you make that trade? Yeah, they don't. I mean, they don't have yeah. they don't have filler salary unless Hayward gets hurt. They don't have yeah. any filler salary to move anymore. Besides yeah, I mean, Tice. I, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tyson Smart, I think, would get you there pretty close if, if you needed to go that way. But, I, I mean, I agree Smart's a, a valuable player. You don't want to necessarily just give up on him. Yeah, I don't. Th- I, I would definitely rather have Marcus Smart than Marcus Soule because of the age. Yeah, although, I mean, if you've got to guard Joel Embiid, there's nobody better at that. Um, well, I think Marcus Smart could probably handle it to a degree. It probably wouldn't work. <laughs> um, so what, give me a number for your best-case scenario. Sure, 55. 55, all right. Yeah, we're in, uh, we're in pretty close... Uh, 
close agreement. And, and worst case, for four, I'm gonna say forty. Forty. Just, okay. Wow. Just that, a, that's uh, just a sensation yeah. of going below five hundred would just be such a disaster. Oh man, can you imagine what that would feel like after everything they've been through? That'd be pretty and sad. All, all the feel goods. Well, uh, going into the year. I mean, their thing though is that like as long as they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're always gonna feel like that they they're building a good young team. So they're you know yeah, they can keep but, both those guys. So it's not like things are gonna completely fall off and be completely bleak for the franchise. But it would be pretty apparent that they're not building towards contention anymore if they if they regress like that well and especially if they win 40 games jalen and jason probably didn't look too good this year that's um, true all right well thanks again uh can follow your work uh jared weiss nba is the twitter handle if i'm not mistaken is that right no mistakes all right and uh we will see what the uh prestige item <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> at, at next year's vegas summer league uh based on whether they close with a traditional center 75 percent of the time or not this is a great bet uh, uh, this is like the the nerdiest bet i've probably ever done uh undunked on this this is fantastic but th- thanks for joining us man looking forward to uh reading all your work throughout the season i can't wait for you to pay for my dinner in vegas <laughs> what if i told you that in just two minutes you could change the way you sleep forever all right, I'm going to stop channeling an 80s commercial here, but it really is true. Helix Sleep makes the best mattresses out there because they're made for you. I think it's the best mattress I've ever owned. I now own three of them. I tried one of those one-size-fits-all mattress delivery companies back in 2015. My wife and I both developed bad back pain. Apparently, one size is not fits-all. So she did some research after we returned that one and found helix sleep helix sleep makes the mattress for you with that two minute sleep quiz matches your body type your sleep preferences whether you're a side sleeper hot sleeper plus your firm bed no more confusion no more compromising with helix sleep and they'll even split it down the middle according to you and your partner's preferences should you so require they have a 10-year warranty and you get to cry it out risk-free for 100 nights and they'll pick it up for you if you don't absolutely love it go to helixsleep.com slash cap space easy to remember because we talk about all the time here on the program helix sleep h-e-l-i-x helixsleep.com slash cap space and that can get you up to 125 dollars off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash cap space once again you can get up to 125 dollars off at helixsleep.com dot com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right let's bring in dan feldman of nbc now a common occurrence for us to do podcasts but uh we have to bring him in because he is the person that i know best uh, who knows the most about his hometown team the detroit piston dan also the former or the founder of piston power that's that's right i, I always get that wrong every year you are the founder correct i am the founder i'm um, the former a lot of other things with it but yeah uh, <laughs> founder is one that lasts <laughs> that's true they can't take that away from you <laughs> once once it has been founded you are you will always be uh, the founder um all right well so we exchanged all of our uh, dissident political opinions before the show so no no risk of uh of any of those uh, offending anybody so let's uh let's talk a little bit about the detroit pistons here uh and i think the place to start obviously with them is their performance uh, last year because they've brought back largely the same team that should provide an, an adequate baseline to get started on projecting their performance this year yeah uh you know the pistons went 41 41 last year 
Uh, they looked pretty <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny that they were 41 and 41. It's just like, it's so uh, so perfectly mundane. Although, uh, that's more than what their over-under is this year. But but anyway, sorry. I, 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 uh, it was so scintillating to me that they went 41 and 41. I had to interrupt you. Please, <laughs> well, please continue. I, I do think it's good timing that we're doing the Pistons preview now uh, because this is maybe the least defensive team in the league. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I, and I don't mean that in terms of scoring the ball. I just mean there's like nothing dramatically interesting about them. Yeah, uh, uh, Blake Griffin isn't even doing commercials anymore. Now. <laughs> Is he not in any anymore? I I don't pay close attention to commercials. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't either. But I <laughs> I, can't, I don't recall seeing him in like Kia or uh, State Farm ads or whatever else he was hawking a few years ago. It, it's at least fewer than that. They're so jammed in our face that people like you and me recognize it. Uh, but they went forty one forty one last year and then got demolished by the Bucks in the playoffs. It was one of two times ever in a four game sweep. A team lost every game by fifteen plus. They were good enough in the regular season to make the playoffs, and then when they got there, they were exposed as not nearly good enough to compete in the playoffs in part because they really ran Blake Griffin into the ground during the season just to get there and he was limping through the postseason and missed time yeah I mean, do you think that it might have been slightly less of a bloodbath if he'd been healthy the whole way slightly uh but very <laughs> slightly I mean this yeah. is still the team that it was uh the Bucks really had their number because the Bucks were a really good team and that's what you run into when you you know barely climb into the playoffs as an eight seed yeah, although, as you said, I mean, it was one of the most severe shellackings uh, that we've seen. I mean, they did compete into game four and then ended up giving up like a 30 to three run and like losing that one by more than 15 uh, as well, like it, it, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. But yeah, so it definitely, you might have said, okay, well, you know, we don't have any illusions. Like we got to find a way to get better here. But as it turned out, they really didn't have the flexibility to add to this team, at least not without paying the luxury tax, which understandably for this quality of team, they did not want to do. Right. And I think that was the right move. If you make some type of drastic shakeup, you're selling low on basically everybody except for Blake Griffin. And I just don't think that's worth it. You know, I think there is value in making the playoffs, even as an eight seed that gets shellacked by the one seed. Like it's not the best season, but there are worse seasons. And uh, you'd be heading into, I think, a worse scenario if you try and trade everybody else at rock bottom value. So I thought the most encouraging aspect of the Pistons performance a year ago was their defense ranking 12th overall but you know pretty much kind of mid-pack there are a bunch of teams between 10 and 15 all clustered within one point per 100 possessions uh, of one another Uh, but this wasn't a team that if you just looked at their personnel last year screamed great defense you know Andre Drummond was has waxed and waned in that regard but isn't regarded as an elite defensive center and then Reggie Jackson has really struggled they didn't have anyone who's really qualified as a wing stopper and Blake Griffin to a lot of eyes uh, has really slipped on that end so how were they able to defend as well as they did a a season ago because that's the number one question to me is you know are they gonna be able to keep that up this year yeah I think it was the usual hallmarks of a good regular season defense they were well coached I mean Dwayne Casey did a good job of getting everybody on the same page keeping things simple enough and they played hard they knew what they were they knew they were a team that couldn't just coast into the playoffs they were also a team that wasn't tanking that wasn't like giving up on the season so that they knew all along they had to play hard uh they had to be connected defensively and i i give Dwayne casey a lot of credit for for getting everybody on that page yeah is was andre drummond's performance better than we'd 
kind of been led to believe uh, he was was he like the linchpin of that defense from uh, a personnel standpoint yeah he was I mean he was he has progressed defensively throughout his career I'm not sure this was like the big breakthrough everybody wanted just because he's so physically talented he's so big he moves well uh, he really can get after it on the glass that's where he applies himself the most and is furthest along as understanding rebounding but in terms of protecting the rim yeah it was it was progress uh, it was good it was obviously good enough for them to have this above average defense uh, but there's probably room for him to get better on that end uh if he wants to if he's committed and focused on that uh, so it was steady progress but it wasn't i don't i don't think people are missing the boat on him being some defensive linchpin uh I think his reputation is about right, which is somebody who, because of his size, because of uh, his ability to move, is a good defender and somebody perfectly capable of being the the main defender on an above-average defense, but he's not some defensive star. Yeah, and I think... when you look at their defense with the stars on the floor, you know they're, they're kind of two different teams with the stars and with the bench. They offensively they were totally adequate with Griffin and Drummond out there, uh, but defensively, you know, they're much more kind of a, a mid pack, slightly below average type of defense. And then when those guys were off the floor, the defense got a lot better. For example, Drummond's backup Salza Pachulia, one hundred five defensive rating. Drummond's uh, was one hundred eight. But then you know when they had Blake Griffin off the score uh, off the floor or or. Drummond Drummond off the floor, they really just could not score at all. You know, and they had worse than the league level offensive ratings with those guys off the floor. Right. So, I mean, this is a team that's short on uh, players who don't have some deficiency. So they're making these types of trade-offs all the time, all the way throughout the rotation. So offense last year, 21st in the NBA. We mentioned that with Griffin on the floor, they're relatively passable, 110, even more than that with Drummond. Uh, So do you expect that to improve or decline this year based uh, on the personnel and based on, you know, projecting the performance of the guys who are coming back? You know, I'm going to answer this the same way I've answered so many questions in the years we've done this. It'll probably be about the same. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I'm not sure that Blake Griffin can maintain that super high level that he had last year. I mean, that was his best season since the year he finished third in MVP. Uh, He's getting a little older. He's pretty healthy until the end last year. I'm just not sure if you can count on that. Again, I, I do expect Reggie Jackson to be a little better in a contract year, which I know you love me saying. Uh, (laughs) and, and they added a little bit more offensive punch. Uh, that was a clear goal. They got Derrick Rose. They got Marquise Morris. They got Joe Johnson. I, I do think it was a goal to get, uh, players who are more skilled individually offensively. How that comes together is a different thing completely uh maybe not completely it's a different thing uh there's a lot of overlap uh but they do have some more individually skilled offensive players yeah and rose was the big addition two years uh, close to the full mid level exception they they left a little bit uh, on the table there to, to do some other moves but uh rose had really a uh you wouldn't say a career year, but the best year of his career, at least uh, on a per play basis, uh, since his injury uh, way back in uh, 2012, the uh, first game of the playoffs in 2012. Uh, what are you projecting from him this year? I, I know you mentioned that you felt like there's some overlap with his skill level, um, but what's going to be able to continue from what he did last year and what might be fluky in your mind? I mean, he had that year in a lot of ways because he was making jumpers, including three pointers at a rate he just hadn't before in his career. And I'm not really counting on that to continue, Uh, but it might like maybe he's turned 
the corner. I, I see the idea of it, and I'm not ruling out that he's learned at this stage of his career how to contribute within his athletic uh, limitations relative to what he was. Maybe he's figured out how to play. He figured out how to play once. Like, he wasn't just an athlete. He knew how to take advantage of that amazing athleticism he had. Maybe he's learned to take advantage and play with, with what his physical profile is now. Uh, but that is also the type of season that, when you look back on, could easily be fluky, uh, what he did for the Timberwolves last year. Yeah, I mean, and to put that into perspective, career high, 56% true shooting, three-point shooting, 37% had not been over 30% since 2013-14, uh, also taking more of his shots uh, from downtown as well, uh, up to 19% of, of his shots uh, from downtown, uh, which he had really eschewed the three-pointer in, in the couple of years before that. I mean, you remember he had that weird year with the Knicks, and then he had the, that year in Cleveland where he signed for the minimum and, and ended up uh, getting traded to Utah and released and, and then signing with Minnesota late in the season, actually playing some in the playoffs but i mean he did have the ability to really attack downhill off the pick and roll and when he was able to work with carl anthony towns it looked really really good and so yeah i think the jump shot uh, was something that's not necessarily going to sustain uh and he also was finally hitting the mid-ranger as well 44 percent for mid-range which was really a, a shot that had largely abandoned him uh, at times in his career although uh that last next season he actually hit some that but he wasn't hitting the three-pointer then and then the finishing at the rim was much better uh, as well 65 percent which was also a, a career high so I, i'm very interested to see i mean we've seen andre drummond be a really good pick and roll threat with reggie jackson back in that uh, amazing playoff season of 2015-16 and they also got swept uh and then blake griffin obviously i think with his pick and pop game uh, where you're not necessarily going to want to leave him open as their primary threat he could be really useful um my question is just you know how much is he actually going to play with that group you know i could see him being a lot less effective if he has to run with some of these bench units uh, see, I could see it the other way of yeah. of maybe he can lead some of these bench units and yeah. have the ball in his hands. But I, I do agree there is room for a good fit there with Drummond, with Griffin. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, I think there'll be times. Um, some of this is going to depend on how the rest of the rotation shakes out. And I know there's something you want to talk about later, but especially at the big spots like is is Blake Griffin getting a lot of minutes as the backup center? Uh, if so, then yeah, he'll play more with Derrick Rose, or yeah. is he not? And that, that I think is, uh, the main question. And then whether he's playing with Rose, whether Drummond's playing with Rose kind of, uh, trickles down from that. How much did they stagger Drummond and Blake last year? Uh, some, uh, but not to play Blake at center. And so yeah. that's what I, I'm curious whether it'll change. Uh, I don't think it will. I don't expect Blake to be playing a lot of center miss, but they're more up for grabs this year, uh, with, with the roster. So maybe that's something they're banking on. I, I don't expect it, but it's, it's there for the taking if they want it. Uh, what other uh, new additions here stand out to you? Uh, so they, they signed Markeith Morris, uh, who had pretty much a lost year last season. Uh, he had that neck injury and it just never really found traction. So I'm not convinced that all of a sudden he's going to be back to the, the player he was. Uh, but maybe, maybe he can be, you know, an effective rotation player. He's somebody who could be a small ball backup center, especially because what are the other options? Uh, but he could also slide in and play plenty of minutes at the backup four. I expect him to have some role in the rotation. I'm very curious what it'll be, uh, but he could probably play either, even with some defensive shortcomings at center. Uh, they have Christian Wood, uh, who could 
play center, backup center. Uh, Joe Johnson is probably, uh, I'd say, a fringe rotation player. Same with Tim Frazier. Tim Frazier is an important addition. If your point guard, backup point guard, Derek Rose, you need a solid third point guard uh, just because of Rose's injury concerns. And maybe, I, I do think it's possible yeah. that uh, Frazier just cracks the rotation anyway and they play Derek Rose some at the two. Yeah, it's interesting that he played some there as well in Minnesota. And I think Frazier, he's kind of a poor man's ish smith to me mm-hmm. you know just hard-nosed guy got some good athleticism has really struggled with his shot but uh, can run some pick and roll run the team well enough and, and hopefully just uh just isn't going to kill you um and then of course they got tony snell in that deal picking up uh, the 30th pick which uh, was later moved for a, a number of second rounders and uh some cold hard cash uh Dan Gilbert continuing to stimulate the Detroit economy <laughs> with that. Uh, but uh, but they did get Tony Snell, who, you know, and they traded John Luer for him. I mean, that's really an upgrade. They did have to take on an extra year of salary, but probably not a team with a ton of cap space aspirations in the summer of 2020. Regardless, what do you think of what Snell can bring them? Yeah, glad you brought up Snell. He slipped through, and he might be their starting small forward. I'd say he's the player most likely to be their starting small forward, and he's not ideal small forward size, but he's closer than anybody else, and he should fit in well. Uh, he can space the floor, spot up beyond the three-point arc, maybe not do much else than that, uh, be long enough defensively uh, rather than some of these three-guard lineups they're using. So he's a functional uh, small forward who fits in, and that's not... I mean, that's not what a good team has there, but it's better than what the Pistons have had there, especially after the, the trade deadline last year where, where it looked like, all right, they traded Reggie uh, Reggie Bullock, they traded Stanley Johnson. They were very fortunate to get Wayne Ellington, and maybe they knew that was going to happen. Wayne Ellington filled in very well uh, as that wing, and now Tony Snell's going to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. Snell has, it seems like his reputation has vacillated far more than his performance throughout mm-hmm. the course of his career now is his final year with the bulls before he came over to milwaukee he really struggled and and uh he was expendable there but still you know he's never shot uh since his rookie years never shot less than 36 percent from downtown the volume hasn't necessarily been there but i mean he's 40 41 percent 40 percent 40 percent in the his three years in milwaukee and he's a passable defender now he doesn't get a ton of shots up he's not a threat to do anything off the dribble whatsoever but i mean the pistons have not had really reliable shot making from that position at the three now he's pretty skinny he's probably more of a two better guarding smaller players but in terms of two-way play on the wing i I agree with you. I think he might be like the best they've had there in some time. And and just size. I mean, uh, the Pistons are last year ran a lot of three guard lineups. They'll probably do it again. But the other options at the the three, the nominal small forward. I mean, somebody like Luke Kennard or even Langston Galloway. Uh, all of a sudden, Tony Snell looks like the size to do it. Yeah, and uh, Siku Dumboya, obviously uh, also a, a new addition, number fifteen overall pick. Is it your expectation that he's going to kind of be just you know spending a lot of time? with their g league team and just not really playing it at all i mean he did play professionally last year so he's not you know quite the ingenue that perhaps uh, someone his age i mean he's not listed to turn 19 until december but uh so he's got some professional experience but do you think that he's going to be brought along really slowly here that'd be my expectation he he just looks so raw i was pretty high on him i had him in the top 10 of my board and for the pistons we get 15 i think is very nice uh but i had him top 10 because i just like his raw skills i like his athleticism and I like his youth. He's, uh, I think, maybe the youngest prospect in the draft last year. Uh, uh, not yes. one of them. I mean, I think he might be 
youngest, youngest prospect drafted in the one and done era. I think his birthday is like December twenty third or something like yeah. that. Like yeah, so there's time for him. I mean that that's yeah. the appeal. Uh, but to see him come in, it's tough uh, to see what his role would be. If and I I think he's going to be more of a power forward though. He's such a blank canvas. Who knows? But you know if he has some ability to come in and hustle and uh, you know grab some rebounds as a small forward to uh, be a versatile defender, maybe there's a role for him. Uh, but that seems like asking a little too much as a rookie. Yeah. By the way, we we have to say uh, tabula rasa uh, on this show. Uh, you know, this is this is real highbrow uh, entertainment. We got to got to go for the Latin here. You can't say blank canvas. It's not uh, <laughs> not, not sophisticated enough uh, for our our our, uh, our listenership here because we have a a, a uh, the smartest listenership of any podcast. I, I like to say. Uh, I I do think that is correct. It's also too sophisticated for your guest. I'm glad you explained what uh what what Freya like what the heck is that? Well, I, I think our listenership would be very surprised uh that you don't have a working knowledge of Latin and that you're actually not a lawyer uh given given the tenor of some of our negotiations. Uh, I, no, your listeners know I'm your dumbest guest. <laughs> There's no surprises here. Um, yeah, I mean we 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 we've had some guests. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I I would not put you anywhere close to that category personally. Uh, but as I'm sure that that really heartens you. So. Yeah, Dumbuya, I mean, I think, I think if he's good, he is going to have a chance, you know, and Dwayne Casey does kind of have this reputation of being a kind of a hard ass, but also, I mean, he is, has brought along younger players. I think that's one of the biggest feathers in his cap as a coach. I mean, this is the guy who started Pascal Siakam uh in you know 16 17 and uh, og ananobi uh, the year after that so i think you know i, I agree Dumboy is probably not gonna be ready but i think he's gonna have a legitimate shot like if he and they're so desperate for any kind of size on the wing you know you don't want to throw out an 18 19 year old rookie uh, uh you know we're gonna guard Giannis with you or something like that or, or you know we're gonna guard Kawhi Leonard or lebron james with you but yeah, I mean, I could see him at least getting some looks there. This is a great point about Casey. His last year in Toronto did a lot to empower those young players coming off the bench. Yeah. Uh, they really credit him for for doing a lot for their careers. Um, last year, he started Bruce Brown, game one, yeah. second round pick at shooting guard. And that's where I might disagree with the idea that maybe that's Dumbuya's role is to guard those star players. Bruce Brown came in uh, as a second round pick guard. He's guarding the, uh, the best opposing guards. I mean, he's guarding superstar guards. Cards a lot of times. Yeah, maybe maybe I I was giving it because he's he's a little shorter and thinner, but he's so intense. I mean, he probably is actually the best option there. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm giving him short shrift. I think, and, yeah. and they've spoken pretty glowingly uh, of him of of Dumbuya or Brown uh, of Brown. It seems. Oh like. oh yeah. Well, well, I'm saying that. Oh, no no, I'm not. I don't think Brown can handle those. I'm saying maybe Dumbuya's role is to come in for some spot minutes to defend the oh, Giannis's, okay. the LeBrons, the, those types of players, uh, and and not do much else. That's they eased in Brown a little bit. I mean, they said here guard Damian Lillard or or whatever star guard is on the other side uh don't worry too much about offense yeah. and so maybe Dumbuya ends up with a similar role I just think he Dumbuya is probably a little too raw for that Brown I think uh was more polished on maybe on both ends yeah and Brown came out with the reputation of being a defender that was why he got drafted Dumbuya is kind of more of a Swiss army knife and I think he you know has played professionally and has had to lock in a little bit more maybe than someone in college would but also is not renowned for being like a defensive stopper at this stage i think he's got a long way to go to develop 
that mentality. I mean, that, that was the the knock on him was that he didn't take basketball seriously enough for a couple of years after he first burst onto the scene as a prospect, but that he made some strides in that area last year. Right. And it, it, I mean, it's totally theoretical. It's just that he has the size and athleticism. And when you look at the other options being like uh, Tony Snell or Svi or a three guard lineup where like Luke Kennard is the small forward, like all of a sudden Dumbuya might make there's an opening there let's just put it that way there's an opening where if he can uh be focused enough and understanding enough of what's going on defensively uh there's an opening there so you mentioned that you thought reggie jackson might have a a better season this year where is the are where are the areas that you feel uh, he could improve realistically he throughout you know he started last season still hurt from the prior year he played all 82 games uh, but for a while it wasn't totally clear he'd be ready to play at the beginning of the season and I think you really saw his athleticism come along as the season went on he got a lot better at attacking the rim and that's when he's at his best uh you know he's a he's a fine outside shooter but that can't be his whole game but when he gets going downhill uh, it creates opportunities to throw lobs to Drummond uh it just opens up so much more and he can still be that outside shooter too it diversifies his game enough but he needs that athleticism he needs that first step he needs some explosion and he had that more and more as last season went on and I think maybe that'll continue if he's starting off healthier this year yeah now I have a little bit of concern that maybe he regresses from a shooting standpoint it shot a a career high in volume which is certainly good 5.73 point attempts per game and a career high 37 percent as well although he'd been 35 percent or over in most of his time with the Pistons had a down year that year before as you mentioned when he ended up having to get shut down so yeah the hope is that continues and he can add a little bit more going to the room this is his age 29 season but that's usually i think about when point guards peak and then they'll usually have a pretty steep decline after that but yeah he's uh, obviously looking for one more contract and it's not a great point guard market in the summer of 2020 if he can and this is also a team that really doesn't necessarily have a way to replace him so you would think that he could at least get starter money for another couple of years in detroit if not somewhere else if he is able to even maintain last year's performance or take a slight step forward um brown had this awesome summer league playing on the ball a lot had like triple doubles which you never see summer league or i think it might only have been one but uh had a, a number of assists i think he averaged like six seven assists by my recollection feel free to disabuse me of that if i'm not quite right but what do you foresee his role being is he just going to step into the low usage guy or are they going to put him in pick and roll with the ball perhaps uh as much as not as much as we saw in summer league but more based on that summer league performance i think he is going to have a little bit more offensive responsibility but i think it'll still be low because i still expect him to be the starting shooting guard for what he can provide defensively and his ability to contribute without the ball in his hands uh mainly defensively uh you have blake griffin you have reggie jackson you're already going to have a couple starters who have who want the ball in their hands and so i think just the balance between the first unit and the second unit that would mean luke Kennard coming off the bench so i i think uh brown is better positioned to slide into that low usage role and i'll probably mostly stay there but it was very very like low usage low touch last year there's room for him to be like more of a typical low usage low touch guy yeah and it's a little tough to fit in with him now defensively fits in great right you got jackson you got blake griffin 
I don't think either of us would say that those guys are uh, at uh, the top of the league defensively, but, and Braun, I think, provides a lot of value and intensity there. And he had this great summer league, but most of that was on the ball, attacking the rim and making plays. He really did not make any strides uh, as an off-ball player shooting the ball. I mean, he really didn't make many threes. It didn't take many threes either. He was more running uh, the point guard position uh, as they didn't have a traditional point guard uh, on that summer league team most of the time. So uh, I'm interested to see offensively where he fits in. I mean, you're really, you're already playing drummond and griffin griffin can space the floor but he's gonna have the ball a lot so you've got drummond who has no range and then brown as well snell can shoot it but he's not like a huge volume guy he's not going to come off of screens and drain shots necessarily jackson's kind of okay so I, i'm very interested to see whether they decide all right we're, we want to defend with this group and we'll rely on griffin and some offensive rebounding from drummond to, to carry us enough offensively or whether they end up deciding hey no bruce braun is not getting it done for us so offensively or maybe it would even be uh something where they would play the matchups uh, on that although casey it doesn't really seem like that type necessarily uh, he's not necessarily the type to play the matchups with his starting lineup, but he'll definitely uh, change his rotations around based on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, once you get subbing, then then that's where the matchups come into play. You mentioned uh, you put Blake Griffin in the same defensive breath as uh, Reggie Jackson. I think uh, when we were talking about why the Pistons defended a little bit better than most people expected, I think we do have to give a little credit to Blake Griffin. Um just the size he provides, you know, I, I do think that the bigger you are, the better you tend to defend. Now, there's all kinds of outliers in every direction on that. I'm just saying as a yeah. general rule. Yeah, just just on, on the team level, even, yeah. if not even the individual. Level, and yeah. and I, I think he was competing hard last year defensively. And just, you know, he's somebody who in this NBA is big enough to play center minutes. And so you have two guys out there like that. We have Drummond and Griffin, and they're both competing defensively. I, I think that uh, there was uh, that added up and it was very helpful. So we've mentioned the the front court rotation a little bit. Uh, let's talk more uh, about that. I mean, I guess we can start with like whether Christian Wood is even going to make this team or not. Right. That's a uh, right. He's somebody who can make the rotation or not make the team at all. Uh, you know, so I I think he's the most likely to get cut. He has this unguaranteed salary. They gave Joe Johnson a partially guaranteed salary and basically said Joe Johnson's going to make the team. Uh, there are other options, and I think they're open to uh, waiving somebody else. I don't know if that would be Kyrie Thomas or maybe even Thon Maker, though I doubt it. Maybe you could trade somebody. I, I do think they're open to other options if Christian Wood plays like he belongs on the team. But the simplest answer is when there's 15 spots and 15 players with at least partially guaranteed salaries the guy with the unguaranteed salary is just going to get waived yeah we'll see what joe johnson looks like this is obviously a step up from the big three and he was not in demand uh, after finishing up that season uh, with the rockets and i think it, a lot of it matters to you know, how does markeith morris look how does Derek rose look are they able to get enough bench scoring because joe johnson provides basically scoring it and nothing else at, at this point of his career and he's basically a four defensively sweet mccallick also uh oh he's fully guaranteed now isn't he yeah, yeah. he's he yeah i i uh, forgot to update him to being guaranteed uh so yeah i guess it really is down to wood and johnson um, I, I i really do think they're open to trading or waving somebody else if wood yeah. earns it yeah and in thon maker they traded for him he's 3.5 million and they don't have a ton of, of tax room here either though so they may be a little bit loath to just you know eat a guaranteed salary to keep another guy you know, then you're you're potentially running afoul uh, of the tax as well so that could be a concern i mean the way these things usually seem to happen is the young unheralded guy that i think has some potential 
And by the way, Christian Wood guarantees 822K on the first day of the season. So they actually would have a little bit more flexibility if they kept Johnson, I think, because he's only 200. Or does Johnson guarantee at the start of the season as well? Uh, Johnson has a partial guarantee now. I'm not sure exactly how large it is. Okay, yeah, because he's already got 200. I think more guarantees at the start of the season. I don't have that updated yet, but um, but I, I think I remember reading that. This is riveting radio here. Thon Maker, I got a question for you. So yeah. do you think there's a market? If the Pistons just said, we want to keep Christian, would do you think there's any team that would take a flaw just for free take a flyer on thon maker uh whether it's one of those teams with a sliver of cap space left or somebody with a trade exception and i'm not really trying to necessarily dig too deep into which team and who has room i'm just saying his overall value uh you know making three and a half million do do you think that there's a should be a team out there that say, yeah sure um i think charlotte absolutely should he would be their best option at backup center immediately you know that's that's one that comes to mind me as i've been going through some of these team previews i'm sure the warriors would love to get their hands on him but they just can't do it under the hard cap mm-hmm. um you know unless he unless he were to just get waived and and even then they they might be uh might not be able to do it so uh but no i think there's i think houston he, he could be uh he would fit in pretty well into their system also and, as a and he'd help them and, and fulfill their man. goal of paying the tax tillman fertita said they're gonna pay the tax and I'm, it doesn't look like they're going to but man and they could get Thon Maker and right, but, but they could they could uh you know pick him up and, and maybe move like Hart and Senior. But yeah, I mean, I guess the fact that he makes the three point five million makes it a. But oh, maybe they could be you know a Nene trade for him right, or something. Right, you know that that might be and the Nene is two point six million. So right, I, I would expect with that ruling from the NBA that Houston will try to get him off the books uh, as soon as possible, and maybe uh you know maybe Houston throws a little cash there if they have any left, uh, obviously because uh you know th- their whole business is ruined now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we said we were going to stay away from it. Oh man, it's a, it's a, a topic for another time. Um, let's see, where do I want to go next here? Who do you think should make it over Joe between Joe Johnson and Christian Wood? If you got to decide between those two guys, Christian Wood. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think you and I are both higher in Christian Wood than most people, and I, I think he can play. I, you know, every every opportunity he gets, he looks like an a low end NBA caliber, like NBA rotation caliber player. I mean, he puts a, he always always put up like box score stats, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, if you can, and I know he's kind of struggled with some maturity issues early in his career, but yeah, I mean, if you can just, I mean, it still lacks experience, but I mean, the guy he shoots the ball, he blocks shots, he can finish around the rim i mean that like he has all of the tools in theory and the sort of player that a team like this with who has a number of limited upside options should be taking a chance on instead of joe johnson whose uh upside may have crusted uh, about 14 years ago i i generally agree though i like i said before i in the for the reason i didn't think they had to blow this up after last year there is value in making the playoffs and if you think joe johnson is the player who helps you make the playoffs okay i just don't think joe johnson's that player anymore yeah no i i'm uh i'm in agreement there even if if he can give them something this is the team that needs it yes but but i just you know i'm not sure that he is it provides enough even even considering that this you know this probably is the team that makes the most sense for him to be on um Let's talk a little bit more about kind of the the deep wing rotation here. So I'm going to give you a bunch of guys. You put put them in order of how much you think they're going to play. Luke Kennard, Svi Mikhailuk, Siku Dumboya, Langston Galloway, Kyrie Thomas. 
Put those guys in order. How much do you think they're going to play uh, for Dwayne Casey this year? Okay. I'm, I've got Luke Kennard a strong number one in that group. I think he's going to play the most minutes at shooting guard, but he's going to come off the bench. Uh, I think they're going to try and stagger a little, like we were talking about, to have Brown in there just for a little more balance because he doesn't need the ball in his hands as much. Uh, so I think Luke Kennard's going to play the most. I think Svi is going to play the second most. I think there are minutes there for him at small forward just because who else is going to play? Supposedly yeah. he's having a nice camp, some positive signs, some growth in his game. Uh, so that leaves Kyrie Thomas and Dumbuya, and that's... And Langston Galloway, too. Oh, and Langston Galloway. I'll put Langston Galloway next, because uh, he's in... And I, I think Lang's going to play more than Svi. Just the positional crunch, I don't know. I mean, they like Langston Galloway, he comes in and out of the rotation for stretches. It's like, amazing, right? Like, yeah. he's another one of these guys who's just... He's a terrible contract, and then he's, like, closing games, like, based on, like, no change in his own performance. It's just like, all right, is he doing better than expected or worse than expected? <laughs> like, we look at his salary. Is it a new regime? Is it a new coach or not? Like... Uh, ironically, the uh, the coach who did not sign him to a three-year, $21 million contract seemed a lot more enamored of his skills <laughs> than, <laughs> than the one who did. Yeah, uh, but, you know, he can make threes. He competes enough defensively. Like, I, he's going to get his times, and then there'll be times where, like, oh, he's too small. You can't do it, and, and you take him out of the rotation. It's just going to swing probably again. I, again, I'm going to say, it, like, eh, just how it always is uh, with him. And then the last, you know, Kyrie Thomas, he's a year in. He didn't really show much last year. Any, anything he did show didn't really look positive uh, but he does have a little more experience so i think maybe that could even work against him where they say hey we gave you you know some opportunity to to show something you didn't really show anything positive uh let's get Dumbuya out there he's he's uh it's, he's more raw maybe there's some upside there and like we were talking about i think there's a more clear role for Dumbuya rather than Kyrie thomas who's a another small guard he's like the the wannabe better defensively Langston Galloway but just in terms of like you know, on the positional spectrum now, I'm not saying style yeah. of game I'm just saying on the positional spectrum like why would you play Kyrie Thomas over Langston Galloway except for in very specific situations Dumbuya is a different type of player where there could be a bigger role for what he theoretically could provide if he's at all ready yeah I mean I might actually consider moving on from Thomas and have him be the guy I, oh, I, I just would. I haven't I just haven't seen enough from him where it because it's, it's one of these things where like he's really kind of an on-ball guy pick and roll doesn't shoot it incredibly well you know I think he's ceiling is average defensively but he's not a guy who's really going to wow you as an on-ball player so I mean I know they gave up a lot to get him and they, and they really like him and that was this regime uh they gave up the two two second rounders to get him right at like number 38 or 39 or something two years ago uh yeah I think that's right it was yeah I get was it between him and Brown because they got him yeah. both in the same second round but yeah I believe that was Thomas yes yeah because yes, I think that pick initially belonged to the Sixers so yeah um yeah this the second round is just a, a such a morass it's impossible to remember this stuff except by you know looking it up which, uh, <laughs> I, I decided to focus my prep on the pistons in, in a slightly different area um he, but he's yeah, also 23 you know, i mean yeah. like i don't know at a certain point i think he i think he's well behind the curve in terms of what you'd want to see him be able to do at age 23 where you believe he's going to become an nba rotation player yeah well so you said you said wow i mean was that would you you think that's like a crazy thing to say that they should cut him and keep no no, no i didn't say wow i i i said yeah like me too that that's the yeah. guy i would be looking at to cut I'm in the exact same boat as you. Okay. Uh, crunch time lineup for these guys. All right. So we're going to have Blake Griffin. We're going to have Reggie Jackson. 
Are we going to have Reggie Jackson? Yeah, I think so. It, well, maybe what, not. What if D Rose really has it going? I think I think you could see Rose closing some games. Well, I think we could have both. I think both. Is, yeah. Okay. So so I think I I think we're going to have Reggie Blake Griffin. I think we're going to have Reggie Jackson. I think we're going to have Luke Kennard. I think they're going to be in most closing. Lineups. Interesting. Okay. And then I think for the other perimeter spot, I think uh, it could fluctuate between Derrick Rose and Tony Snell. Uh, what about Brown? The lack of, I mean, so situationally, yes, sometimes, but I, I think just the lack of offense is going to be a problem in some of those moments. Yeah. So he'll, I think he'll get some, uh, but in the main lineup, I, I think it'll be Rose or Snell. I, Dwayne Casey likes two point guard lineups, used them to good effect in Toronto. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. we'll see a decent amount of Reggie Jackson, Derek Rose. Yeah, and that's a way to mitigate having that second point guard to mitigate neither one of them being like particularly fantastic, right? Like right. you can kind of run pick and roll with the you know, the weaker defenders guy. Um, yeah, that'll be really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of guys who can play the two and the three with this group. Now, you know, how many two way guys do you really have among them? You know, Snell is probably the only guy you might say is average uh, on either end or, or, or on both ends. But even Snell is kind of, eh, you know, he's more passable defensively. And then offensively, he's more just a, an open spot shooter. So he, even then, uh, you've got some questions there. I mean, it, it does seem like coaches do seem to fall out of love with Tony Snell, despite the fact that like his stats look like he is exactly what everyone is looking for. Mm-hmm. So that, that'll that be really interesting. What were you going to say? Oh, so we got one more spot. I think it's going to be Andre Drummond when possible. Uh, obviously, yeah. there are a lot of times it just can't be Andre. Andre Drummond because of his free throw shooting. Uh, well, he, he got was better like, last year, right? Uh, I mean, or did he get better the year before? I and think then got it was worse. the year before, and then it fell off. I mean, he's he is not the like all time atrocious free throw shooter anymore. So it was two years ago he got up to 61 percent. Last year dropped down to fifty nine percent. He was way above. Like he was in the eighties for a long time two years ago, and it, like went back. So like he's regular bad now. He's not historically bad. Sixty percent or so free throw shooter. Yeah, probably. And, and he he struggles with foul trouble too that, right. that can be another issue and so i think markeith morris could get some opportunities as a small ball center and they could always go to blake and then if it's blake uh then maybe uh you know it could it would be uh maybe tony snell as the nominal four. Oof, yeah i mean that's that's like, they don't even have that. anybody who has like the muscle to play the three not to mention like <laughs> move up as a small ball four so yeah that is that is tough. Um, uh, so that's why I really do think it'll be Drummond or Markeith Morris with Blake like kind of locked yeah. in. Like Blake at power forward and Reggie Jackson at point guard are really the only positions I have locked in. And I fear, feel fairly confident Luke Kennard will be out there whether he's the two or the three. Yeah, that's interesting. So... Uh, where is Kennard right now? What makes you uh, confident in that? Do you think he's going to take a step forward? Or is he underrated last year? Or do they just need what he provides so badly? I really mean a little bit. And I, I, I don't mean this at all facetiously. A little bit of all three. And it's only yeah, well, a little Well, when bit. I ask a compound question like that, that's the that's the kind of answer I probably deserve. <laughs> but I, I think it's... I mean, I do think you hit on all three. I do think it's a little bit. He's better than people thought. Uh, there was... Or thing. You know, there was a lot of... Well, he's not Donovan Mitchell because that's who they... Uh, passed on to take him like he'll always have that hanging over him but he can still play uh his game is more well-rounded he can handle the ball he can run pick and rolls that's why i do think he'll be coming off the bench and and i think you know they just need his shot outside shot making uh he might not have the ball in his hands the ideal amount for him individually late in these games when he's playing with blake griffin when he's playing with reggie jackson he's maybe also playing with derrick rose but his ability to make three pointers they need that 
and he's passable defensively. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I think it's going to be a rotating cast of characters uh, of just. You know, I mean, I could see Jackson not being in there part of the time. You know, Jackson and Rose together. That is a tough defensive group uh, <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it, it could depend on the matchups. If you have just you know a point guard who's killing you in pick and roll, you can't have Reggie Jackson, Derek Rose, and Luke Kennard out there. You know, I, I think like Bruce Brown might have to be out there just uh, for that because this isn't a team that's going to do a ton of switching necessarily. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. And I mean, the one good thing that you can say, maybe one of the one reason that there's some hope for this group to be better than expected is they have so many of these options that, you know, maybe a couple of them could really exceed expectations and you kind of get what you're expecting from the more established guys. But yeah, that's, uh, I think it's, it's not necessarily a good problem for Casey because the, so many of these guys just are one-way players and they're one-way players kind of in different ways too. I mean, between like Kennard and, uh, you know, I mean, even Galloway, I think it wouldn't be impossible for me that, you know, if he's really has it going, like it, I think we could see a lot of games where the bench unit goes out there, they're playing pretty well. Somebody hits a couple of threes in case he just decides to leave him out there. You know, I could see that happening for a, a lot of the, this two, three situation here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do think you're onto something. The idea that, Hey, there are a bunch of options here maybe between all of them there's some that works and I, I feel strongly there's a playoff caliber team in here somewhere I, I think a big question is gonna be can they identify which are the right rotations early enough because you know every game counts in the standings in the end strengths for this team rebounding yeah <laughs> same as I say every year <laughs> uh, you do you have yeah. any others I mean I'm they're kind of middling I don't know um yeah, <laughs> yeah other than rebounding uh about like uh, how, how are they enforcing turnovers pretty average yeah <laughs> pretty average let me pour over the stat line here nothing uh, comes up they actually got up a lot of threes that's, they, yeah. that's one thing yes. that, that I think is is underrated about these guys they shoot a lot of three-pointers yes um Yes, they they do. That is a good point. That is another thing they are good at. Uh, I don't know. I know you're very high on, especially on an individual level. You know, you got to get those threes up. There's value in that. As a team, I'm not sure I'd look at it the same. And I agree with you on the individual level. As a team strength, I'm not sure to the degree, because these are not all like the offense creating three-pointers. This is a mindset of we need to shoot threes whenever we see them. And they probably uh, are just better at hoisting them when there are yeah. solid three point attempts available rather than an offense creating like a bunch of wide open threes yeah well i mean they don't really have uh, that many guys who are great at creating in the mid-range either i mean if johnson makes the team and he plays maybe him maybe morris maybe rose they might actually shoot more mid-rangers this year but you know ish smith uh, wasn't he took some strides in terms of three-pointer but he, he was more more comfortable inside the arc um and th they shot 23rd in the league 34.8 percent from downtown last year maybe that's something that could go up if they get a, a little bit more from uh canard if he plays some um but the, you know they're missing reggie bullock who, who was a, a good sniper for them last year and they're also really missing wayne ellington i think yes. he he was one of the better net rating players on the team uh and you know they had a pretty nice push after the deadline until griffin went down and then i think they lost like seven of eight or something uh just won that last game to to get in so uh 
What about uh, what about weaknesses? Uh, weakness is going to be uh, the size on the wing. Uh, we've talked a lot about that. And then I also think offensive chemistry, uh, which we hinted at a little bit. Uh, I, I'm with you that a hallmark of teams that overachieve offensively are, are they good passing teams? And how many starters, let's just start with starters on the Pistons, would you look at as like, yeah, they're good passers for a starter at that position? Blake Griffin, yes. Andre Drummond, when empowered, yes, but that's not going to be his role. He had like a brief moment before Blake Griffin arrived where he showed he could be a good passer and was never asked to do that yeah. again. So I don't think they're really going to be taking advantage of that. Uh, Tony Snell, no. Bruce Brown, no. Uh, Reggie Jackson yeah. for a point guard, no. Uh, the guys coming off the bench, Markeith Morris, like Derek Rose, these are a lot of individual offensive players. And not that they can't fit into a team offense. I think they can in time, but these are a lot of new faces to fit together too, uh, which makes it even harder when it's not the most natural fit. Yeah, you know, I would have said getting to the line, right? Because Griffin, 40% free throw rate, uh, free throw for, for field goal attempt ratio. Drummond obviously gets to the line a lot. But then their perimeter players, like, <laughs> nobody is going to get to the line. Right, right. Uh, so maybe, the, you know, the, maybe one of their strengths is getting bigs in foul trouble. <laughs> um, uh, another weakness for these guys, two-point shooting. 27th in the NBA a year ago, shot an even 50% from two-point range. Drummond is always disappointed in that area. Griffin, he is not the finisher that he once was, uh, and he's not as good at overpowering and getting to the rim. For dunks, a lot of his efficiency came from his three-pointing and uh, from the foul line last year. So that could be a little bit of a struggle. Griffin last year was... Yeah, go ahead. I was just I wonder if that two point shooting is at all misleading just because this is not a good team in transition, so they're not really uh puffing up with that. Another weakness. Another weakness. <laughs> and uh Drummond gets so many putback opportunities. I'm not sure exactly how you yeah. should count those. because uh, they're kinda like bonus attempts, but sometimes yeah. like they're a little more off balance and he also makes a lot of them too. Uh so I I just don't know exactly. Yeah, you know, his his offensive rebounding to me has always been a little bit overrated in terms of his value because he's not that good, whether it's because of uh, getting fouled and not making the free throws or just, you know, kind of a lot of wild tips or he's just, he's not really that great of a finisher on, on non-dunks. It seems like a, a disproportionately large number of his putbacks just are, are unsuccessful compared to maybe some other guys. Um, when they were making that yeah. late push you were talking about last year, that was one of the big reasons was he was doing that a lot better. He was converting those offensive putbacks like in a way that we haven't seen sustained. And it was a fairly small sample. Uh, maybe he's turned the corner on that, having that little bit better control, that better touch. Or maybe it was just a small sample. That is definitely one of the things I'll be watching for this year. Uh, any other crippling weaknesses <laughs> for, for, for this team that's, stick out to you um i, I think health uh, might be a concern Ro- rose and griffin i think they're gonna be pretty dependent on those guys uh, uh reggie jackson has regularly missed time in his business career i know he did play the all 82 last year so i'm a little bit concerned there um and, and then just obviously the potential regression in both health and performance uh from griffin who had you know as you mentioned kind of the late his late career year not not necessarily a career year last year um you ready for predictions yeah let's do it all right i will uh leave it to you to go first this time uh for predicted record i am going to go 40 and 42 same as it always <laughs> yeah the the over under i think it was uh either 38 or 30 and a half it was 38 exactly <laughs> i did i did go with the over danny uh danny had the under oh 
40 and 42. While you're thinking, I'll just uh, give you a little filler of... Oh, please do, yes. Especially when I was writing for Piston Powered. I I would get accused of being too much of a homer sometimes. I'd also get accused of, like, being too negative on the team. But it was probably... It was definitely more often being too negative. But I would take the Pistons over every year. Every year. And sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. Uh, It's usually wrong. But I'm doing it again this year, so... Well, they hit the over last year. Sure. I'm not saying it's, it's always wrong. It's sometimes right. But I would say it was like dating back to the piston powered era, let's say. It's Oh usually, yeah. 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 When did when did that site start? Uh it's a good question. Two thousand eight. When was it founded? Sorry. <laughs> 2008-ish. Okay. So really the absolute worst possible time that you could have started it. Yep. <laughs> Well, I guess there was probably a lot of interest at the beginning. Did you did you at least get like the Eastern Conference Finals run in two thousand eight? Nope, nope. Uh, we, oh. we were we were starting off with the Allen Iverson era. Oh man! So like your first post is Chauncey Billups has been traded for Allen Iverson. We started during the season, so I didn't. Like, oh yeah, oh, yeah so it, it had already happened. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, all right. Well, so with all that distraction, back to the matter at hand. I'm going to go with forty wins as well. I think they're just they'll have just enough to get up to that level at the end of the year. You know, I, I think it'll be kind of similar maybe to last year where it's like ah you know this east playoff race sucks like 37 wins is going to get you in and then everyone will kind of turn it up at the end against teams that are playing off the string and so that's a i'll go with uh 40 wins one fewer than last year and i mean people like oh griffin is going to miss more time he played 75 games last year uh but i mean they were probably on pace for 44 45 wins until he went down at the end of the season and they went on that big losing streak so i think some of him missing games is priced in especially because they were just so bad when he was off the floor at at the end of the year whereas i think this year they're a little better positioned to withstand an injury to him they are better positioned to that and just judging last year you have to price that in because part of the reason they were so good with him is he played really hard and played a lot of minutes really hard yeah so it made him more susceptible to injury okay uh best case scenario am i first on all these uh, I could do it this time. Uh, 40 and a half wins. <laughs> uh, no, um, uh, don't see a ton of upside with this group. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, again, as we talked about, eh, about the same as last year <laughs> in terms of offense and defense. Um, you know, it's hard for me to see them really breaking into the top 10 defensively. You know, we've been waiting for the leap from Drummond to become a dominant defender. That hasn't happened yet. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, he's contract year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think they could be better offensively than they were last year. Uh, I think that the bench offense in particular has mm-hmm. a, a good chance of being better with just, you know, having some NBA players coming off the bench. I mean, they, it's Zaza and I don't even remember who the hell the backup for was like Stanley Johnson for a lot of last year and then you had like thon and zaza playing together like uh i think rose is better than ish smith at least offensively so i do think that they can be a little bit better with the bench offense and so you know you could see them getting up to like average on offense and like you know 10th on defense if you squint hard and that that it gets get you to 45 wins but uh yeah i mean that's that's about the lowest difference of any team that i've had here i think between (laughs) their like what i'm predicting for them and, and their best case scenario what about you yeah i wrote down 47 i was like 46 47 maybe you're making me lean a little more toward 46 i'll i'll put it at 46 um reggie jackson yeah yeah i I just love when you when you write stuff down because it's just like like you just like can't deviate from it like like we're doing our negotiations like nope nope sorry i can't go another uh 
a, another uh, unlikely bonus for two hundred fifty thousand dollars because you know I wrote down that this was this was the highest that that I could go. Uh, but I'm glad I'm glad that I something I said actually convinced you to change what you had written down. We're making some, we're making some progress here. I I did well when I do that. I write down like what's the very very most I go I'd go like I try to find like I, that's why what's I try- the point of writing it down if you're not gonna stick to it. <laughs> So I got, I'll say 46, best case scenario. Reggie Jackson has a really good year. I mean, this is a team that I really think goes, this is for his whole duration in Detroit, like goes as far as Reggie Jackson will take them or sinks as low as he's struggling. Like, it, yeah. it's not an ideal H- hence, situation. Hence the fact but. that they've they have uh, fluctuated between like 37 and 44 wins for like his entire, <laughs> his entire tenure. Right, exactly. Uh but contract year, healthier, uh, at an age where, you know, his understanding as a point guard should be better. But, like, right before his athleticism declines. Like, this this could be a career year for Reggie Jackson, I think, is very possible. Uh, Blake Griffin being, you know, still a, a star, maybe not quite what he did last year. Although, best case scenario, I think a reasonable best case scenario is he duplicates last year. No better. I think, like, we're hitting peak late career Blake Griffin. Uh, but maybe there's no backsliding yet. Uh, Andre Drummond, also a career year. Tony Snell fits in well. Uh, some like what we were talking about where the offensive individual offensive talents aren't the cleanest fits, but they are players capable of fitting that they gel quickly enough. So I, I'm ta- all right. I've talked. Sorry, Nate. I've talked myself back into 47. As oh, baby. Case scenario. Lock me in at 47. Yeah. That that big 47 written in red ink on the piece of paper <laughs> in front of you. It just it, it was a siren song for you. <laughs> I mean, uh, I wrote down 47. Yeah. I should stick with it. All right, I'll go worst case here. Um, thirty-seven. No, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it could get as bad as thirty-four. You know, if Griffin. I, I mean, again, we generally when we do this, we're not talking about you know season-ending injuries to certain players, but you know, Griffin has had many a year when he's missed twenty or twenty-five games. Like I, I'm, I'm willing to price that in. I think they could really struggle without him. Derek Rose, same thing. Reggie Jackson, same thing. I mean, if all those guys, you know, you could see each of those guys playing fifty-five games, and if that's the case, you know, I, I think they're just going to really, really struggle and could be, you know, a, a, a maybe not quite a bottom five offense, but you know, bottom seven offense something like that so i think that could be a problem and also i think this is a team that's very dependent on their effort and their togetherness defensively and if they fall out of the playoff race i think the things could snowball a little bit for them there so what's your number 34 so i have 34 as the lowest level of team like that's my worst case scenario for like the level of play yeah yeah but like like the luck aspect could bring it lower than that well not even the luck aspect like this is this sets up to be like the last year of this run if they wanted to be uh you know andre drummond's already talking about opting out reggie jackson shit what if what if griffin gets traded if they disappoint right that's what i'm saying right so like if it's trending toward 34 um i I look at like the rest of this roster so from 2010 to 2015 the pistons won 27 30 25 that was in a lockout year uh 29 29 32 i'm like what makes this team so much different from those uh so i i could see like 30 as the low case if if they're trending toward it i think factors because this is like could be nearing the end of this run could push them a little bit lower yeah and i think they're also uh, that's kind of this tanking sweet spot these days as well and obviously there's not explosive young talent on this roster you mentioned the the possibility that drummond could depart so yeah i mean maybe it could just they could just go in the direction of a total reset you convince me i'm gonna go with 30 uh, i'm gonna go no no i'm gonna go 28 wins Ooh, wow yeah i have to i have to be more pessimistic than you it's it's uh, um 
All right, so uh, anything else you, you wanted to talk about with this group? One thing I wanted to ask you, is there anything about this team that you feel has kind of missed it in the national discussion about them? Uh, the idea that this could be the end of this, oh, same as every year run, that, that yeah. there are these, you know, I do think that they have these realistic ideas of maybe we can flip Blake Griffin for assets still, and if we want to do something different, like, that could be a way. Or, um, yeah. you know, Reggie Jack, like, Reggie Jackson, if there's a team with a uh, bad contract, could be, could help a team if you if you want to get, like, he's not replaceable on the Pistons, so this would be a total, uh, you know, giving up on the season move but maybe you trade him for a bad contract and a small asset uh same with drummond uh and so there's a lot of room to break this up like this could be the end of this era or what if they have that good year where they make the playoffs and then what like do you bring back this group do you re-sign these guys i think that's a real jam they're headed toward next summer if they don't hit the exit ramp before the trade deadline in one way or another uh so i do think there's some interesting big picture questions about this team for the first time in a few years yeah andre drummond eligible for a contract extension hilariously uh oh no i guess because it's five years so it wouldn't be yet Uh, blake griffin would be eligible for a contract extension (laughs) next year uh but yeah yeah i mean that'd be interesting and of course drummond has that that 28 million dollar player option uh, that'll be one of the more interesting decisions of and and yeah i mean i think for for drummond with the low demand of centers around the league a six having a successful year in detroit them wanting to keep him around at, at similar type of numbers that's probably his easiest path to getting paid i would imagine i would think so too so i mean just to like sum it up i think the big first question is do you want to keep trying to win around blake griffin and if no okay well then that's the answer but if yes is it with the same guys or different guys and how do you get the different guys if it's different guys yeah and i mean i I think griffin supposedly it was you know arntellum and and ownership signed off on the acquisition of him two years ago but it is a a different regime technically so you know maybe they're not as wedded to keeping him around i'm not Um, sure they were ever wedded to it that you know i mean i i think it was a lot to get him I, I they did i think it was a full organizational decision i really don't think that was like just stan van gundy trying to save his job yeah. though it's easy to see like how he would be for it for those reasons uh but i think they've always been open to okay in a couple of years maybe we do flip him for some assets uh, not that they have to but I, I i don't think this is like a sudden change that they might be open to it yeah and it doesn't seem like you know they're like oh we need a star we need blake griffin to like compete in this market it doesn't seem like you know there's so much pistons buzz because they have blake griffin would you agree with that assessment uh there is not so much pistons buzz because they have blake griffin but i do think the team would like there to be pistons buzz because they have blake griffin i think they have tried to make that happen a little bit all right well thanks man uh, this was awesome uh, of course dan feldman nba and uh you know appearing three times per month uh, on podcasts <laughs> with either me or danny is uh, is where you can where you can find uh dan's work definitely uh Anytime a, a story breaks, I always like want to see what Dan has to say about it, which uh, is good because that's his job is to comment on most of the stories that, that break. So uh, always fun following him uh, at uh, NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with yet another in our Team Outlook series. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.